Welcome to this week's episode of View the Right Thing. On this chapter, Wes and Steve review the smash comedy family film of 1990, Home Alone. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? Then things take a slightly darker comedy twist with the heist gone horribly wrong caper of 1994's The Ref. You're a criminal. What possible purpose could you serve? Fuck you, Lloyd. I work for a living, okay? I have the skill. I'm in the game, pal. What do you do except take up fucking space? And now, it's time for the first ever holiday episode of View the Right Thing. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, welcome back to another episode of... Welcome back to another episode of... Indiana Jones. You've been saving that for like. Stephen West will discuss two movies about the holidays. No, I just came up with that. That's pretty good. Thank you. I hope my my mm-hmm. voice sounded rich and buttery enough. Your voice always sounds rich and buttery. Oh, stop! I'm gonna try and project a little bit more. It's fun. Well, no, you don't need to project anymore. Oh, you you do just fine. Projecting's a lot of fun. You do. You do great. You sound great every episode. You sound great, too. Just quietly great. Quieter and without enough diction. Oh. I've, I've gotten a little bit of feedback that maybe... Uh, diction not feedback. that easy to understand. Huh. I need to enunciate more. Oh. Enunciate more. Sniffle less. I'm going to be doing the enunciating right now. Oh, yes, But please. then later I'm going to forget, and it's going to be mumble town. Mumble it's town. okay. See, I already did it. Listen to the top 100 podcasts floating around out there. They're not all that concerned about enunciation either. Nah, Trust grumble, me. Grumble, grumble. I listen to some of the most successful podcasts. Enunciation isn't exactly high on their list of priorities. Mm. There, I said it. The gauntlet's been thrown down much more successful podcasts answer to i don't know let's talk movies sure go for it what have you seen recently in the besides theater? the two movies we're about to talk about i haven't seen any i'm behind um i have not seen any movies in the theaters i don't really have a movie buddy to go to the movies with very often uh desi my beautiful wife is normally my movie buddy but she's so busy uh, with the holidays right now, mm. um, that uh, I've been left movie buddy less. I feel ya. Except for except for the movies that we watch, you're a fine movie buddy. But I'm we, great. We have our we have our work <laughs> cut out for did us. I really just say that I'm great at yeah, going. Yeah, to... you did. I'm used to it. I went to see Krampus. Yeah. At the theater, did we discuss that in the last episode? I, I feel like I didn't so. see it that no. long ago. Uh-uh. Krampus was fun. Yeah. Um, if you like uh, uh, trick or treat. Which I'm a very big fan of. I think you'll like Krampus. It walks. Is it the same people? It's a lot of the same creative team, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I think. <clears throat> here's the thing the guy sitting next to me watching Krampus did not like it. Hmm. And I think he maybe wasn't taking in co- into consideration the fact that it's trying to walk a very odd line yeah. of being horror. But also a family movie. Yeah, I've heard I have heard people say that they're not sure what kind of movie they were watching. Yeah, like it's not just a horror comedy. Those exist. They can be done very, very well. We've got plenty of examples of good horror comedies. Yeah. 
this is a horror family movie. Yeah, I've heard that. And that's a pretty rare beast. And I think they do a pretty darn good job of so you don't, of doing it. You don't feel like they um, maybe weren't sure what kind of movie they wanted to be? Because that, that can kind of come across when you try to mix genres like that. Especially when their genres are so uh, in competition with each other. No, I think... I think Krampus knows exactly what kind of movie it is. Okay. Um, for example, really awesome special effects, really great monsters, mm-hmm. not really a whole lot of blood, you okay. know? And I think a lot of people go to horror movies expecting to see a whole lot more blood and gore, whereas this one, scary, horrifying monsters, but just not a whole lot of blood flying all around, yeah. you know? People are getting eaten. People are getting dragged away to their death, but not a lot of blood. Big deal. That's all. Yeah. I'm okay without seeing a whole lot of blood. Okay. Um, the monsters were totally cool looking. Uh, what else? You know, it was good, suspenseful, scary, but then it also had, you know, the nice heartfelt kind of moments that you need in a family movie. Sure. Okay. So I'm saying Krampus, five thumbs. Five thumbs. Five thumbs five in thumbs. a star shape. Oh, oh, in a star shape. Okay. I don't know. I mean, there's stars, there's thumbs up or down. I'm trying to mix the two here. Okay. I give the Krampus five birch branches with Ooh. which to beat its victims. Okay. Fair enough. So I enjoyed Krampus. Cool. I think that might be the last thing I saw in the theater. All right. And then, uh, what about you? I haven't seen anything in the theater since, uh, Cre- no, Mocking, Mocking Jay Part 2. That was the same weekend as, I don't as, think uh, you mentioned that Cre- last time. Because I, I, last time I was like, let's only talk about one film. Oh. And that's probably why. I saw the, the okay. final the final Hunger Games. I feel like we did talk about it, but maybe not. So I have not seen that or the previous Hunger Games. I liked the previous one. I thought this one was a little meh. Even though this is the 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 finale. Yeah, there's some things that kind of come out of nowhere. Oh um, boy, some things that like they sort of treat like you're supposed to know what it is. Probably if you've read the books, you do know what it is. Sure. Um, and we were just like we looked at each other and we we're like, do you remember? this in the and of course the answer was no so well darn it um it was okay i get why it's maybe wasn't isn't doing as well or hasn't done as well as some of the others um, mm, even though it's the last one even though it's the last one is all right it's all fun. right if you've seen all the movies leading up to it you should see it because you know finish out the series why not all right i like um, the sound of that it's fine how's my j-law well j-law's good in everything yeah i really want to see joy you're in luck. No. Yup. Don't say it. All right. But you're in luck. All right. <clears throat> hum 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 hum. Should we talk about two specific movies? Yeah, let's do that. that All right. Like a pretty good idea. Because as you know, listener, not only is it December, mm-hmm. not only has Hanukkah already started, mm-hmm. but Christmas is flying towards us like a circusman shot out of a cannon that was aimed at the audience by mistake sure that's how fast christmas is approaching well and and we should say since you mentioned hanukkah we, we're not doing hanukkah films that just did not you know, they didn't get drawn we got two christmas movies instead this is random selection um but would like to say happy hanukkah happy hanukkah to our viewsters who celebrate hanukkah happy holidays if you celebrate something else that i i don't know enough about to really 
right. talk about. Um, happy holidays. I want to say happy Hanukkah to our good friend Daniel Weiss. Happy, hol- the, the happy Weiss Hanukkah, family. Daniel. Yeah. And to your entire family and all your beloved. Good guy, that Daniel Weiss. Sure. Daniel, if you're listening, uh, stop talking over the podcast. I'm kidding. He's um, probably American not. Crime Stories, Daniel Weiss. Ooh, that's right. If you've seen the trailer. You've seen his back. You've seen him running through a yard with a camera. Maybe we shouldn't or say too. Bushes. If you've seen the trailer, you know what it's for. Yeah, you don't see his face in the trailer, but you <clears> see his back. So Yeah, I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, me too. Audition for the same thing. He got it and you didn't. That's well, no, not that same role, but the same, same project. project. I would have played, I forget, because I didn't get it, so I pushed it out of my mind. I was I was hoping you were going to get a different role that I can't talk about. Oh. I, I probably pushed that out of my mind, too. Oh, yeah. We'll discuss it off the air. It's the one that involves you and me in a camcorder. You know. You and me in a camcorder? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got a lifetime to play out that scenario Ew, what? let's talk about Home Alone yeah bit of a cult film a lot of people don't know about this movie yeah it's a little little film uh, didn't do all that well in theater a, ah. an unknown director can't even keep, I can't even keep up the joke the only other movies I can think of that he, I know he directed are like these little like Harry Potter films yeah like what the first like three two of those two, first two, yeah. at least and yeah. uh all right so Home Alone 1990 I, sure directed by Chris Columbus Chris Columbus written by John Hughes John Hughes it's our second John Hughes written film only our second that he did not direct Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. I don't, I, and I do think it might be our only, only our second Johnny's film. But uh, yeah, he didn't direct Career Opportunities. That's true. And he did not direct this. That's also true. Um, I came to a stunning realization in the very early scenes of Home Alone. Yes, and that is that Catherine O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Walt loves Catherine O'Hara. Did you hear that? Yeah, we got we got our little buddy Walt with us uh, again. Hopefully, he'll be quiet. When Catherine O'Hara starred in Home Alone uh-huh. as Kevin's mom, mm-hmm. she was the exact age that I am now. Oh, wow. Does it make you feel old? And I researched that because while watching it, I thought, I don't remember Catherine O'Hara looking so foxy in this movie. And then I looked it up, and sure enough, she seems so foxy because She's I am... She's a pretty lady. Well, she is. And I've always thought that. But I'm saying, as Mrs. McAllister, I never thought she was all that foxy. And I was like... Maybe it's because I am her age, and I looked it up, and sure enough, I'm correct. A McAllister, you'd like to... <laughs> <laughs> Wowzers. A McAllister, I'd like to help get back to her uh, abandoned son. Yeah. Who's been abandoned in the comfort of his own home. Yep. Alone. Where does Home Alone start? It starts on... Uh, they don't specify exactly which night it is <laughs> before Christmas, but well, it's... actually, we do know, right? The exact date? Well... Yeah, because we see this night. Yeah. And he wakes up and then has one more night, and then he has Christmas Eve as the next night after that. I thought he had several nights. And remember that um, they're in the airport, and when they get to France, um, they, can, they can get a flight on Friday, which is two days away. Right. Okay. So he, so he has three nights, right? 
So roughly three nights. So we guess we could say this movie starts right around December 22nd, uh, sure, 23rd. It, yeah. It, it's loose. But it's, I think that's roughly, we could do the math if we really wanted. It. Yeah. The movie, the movie opens at night at the McAllister home, somewhere in a suburb of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about how the McAllisters and their neighbors, the Murphys and a lot of the other uh, Irish in this neighborhood might very well be descended from Irish mafia in Chicago. Maybe they're all there is living on laundered money. I don't know. Steve brought this up when watching the movie, and at first I was like, you're insane. But it actually, uh, it's interesting. A lot of red-headed people in this film. <laughs> a lot of red lot, lot of red-headed people. A lot of Irish last names. A lot of cops who aren't exactly, uh, you know, terribly concerned with crime. Absolutely. If you know what I mean. Absolutely. But here we are, uh, the, and sh- Chicago police officer uh, is visiting the McAllister home. There's people everywhere, running people all over this house. running all over the place, unattended children, unattended adults, yep. children who keep bumping into the cop, and the cop says, is your parents home? And they say, yeah, of course they're home. Can you get them? And they say, well, they don't live here, so yep. I'm assuming that's the children of the people that live in France that they're going to visit anyway. This cop, and soon to be joined by a pizza boy, are standing in the foyer... Could you call that a foyer? Yeah. Of the McAllister home. At the landing of the stairs. At the landing of the stairs, waiting to talk to Mr. or Mrs. McAllister. Pizza guy's hoping to collect his $122.50 for his uh, 10 pizzas. Mm -hmm. And the cop is hoping to check with Mr. McAllister to make sure his home is safe and sound for the holidays. Yeah. When's a cop ever done that? (laughs) Whoa. Walt says never. when, When a cop is... A, a bad guy. Ooh, played by Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, good fellas. Joe Pesci with his gold tooth and his pretty sweet Chicago PD leather jacket. Yeah, I am envious of those. Hat. Those yeah. are some cool. Yeah, and a pretty pretty nice. That hat looks pretty warm. Yeah, I gotta say. So, um, so we see all this this uh, hubbub going on, right? And um, people are running around. Kevin is dressed like Jerry Seinfeld. Kevin played. Little, Kevin is the star of the movie. Yeah, played by Macaulay Culkin. Played by the the great Macaulay Culkin. Now, um, a couple interesting things about Macaulay Culkin playing Kevin. Yeah. He had done a different John Hughes film prior to this. Uncle Buck. Called Uncle Buck. Yeah. So when John Hughes wrote this movie, he wrote it specifically for Macaulay Culkin. Wow. And Chris Columbus, um, I think this is his directorial debut. And um, he was given... A choice of this film and another from John Hughes. All right, the way we're collaborating together, and uh, and he chose this one because it just kind of resonated with him. But he did not want to cast Macaulay Culkin because he had just been in Uncle Buck. Oh, and so he actually screen tested a bunch of other kids, and then after the fact realized that Macaulay Culkin was indeed the best choice for the part of Kevin McAllister. Wow. Do you remember any uh, anybody else who he screen tested? I didn't come across any of the names. Okay. Um, but, uh, All right. All right. but yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Also interesting, since we're talking about everybody running around the house, the house in this film is a character. For sure. Um, besides the fact that we see some objects and object come to life in the house at one point. Ooh. Um, the house is integral to the plot. Absolutely. And, and how what what everybody wants right so the silver the, tuna the silver tuna the the g oh yeah they refer to it as the big g or something um in in the van at one point the big g or, or the g they refer to it as the g some sort oh. of gangster term oh. but uh the art direction in the house is yeah. absolutely incredible incredible not subtle but subtle at the same time 
Sure. Some some aspects are not subtle at all, and some are are just like really really small details that I feel feel like they just kind of nailed to to make us feel warm and cozy and in the in the holiday spirit. I can agree with that. It is quite literally the house that Christmas decorated. Yeah, it is. Um, there's uh, red and green walls. Some walls are red. Some walls are green. Some are both. Yeah. Um, there's furniture cushions and bedding and even the clothes that a lot of the characters wear are either red and green or a combination of red and green. All of the wood in the house is about as red as it can be. Yep. It's it's very, like, rich. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, there's a scene coming up in a bit uh, when Kevin's in the in the kitchen, and like the rolling pin is green and the mm. mortar and pestle is green, and they do a shot of a counter that shows a pepper mill. It's a see-through pepper mill, so you can Ooh. see the peppercorns inside, and they are in addition to black, red and green. Red and green peppers in your pepper mill, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. So it's just the movie is just kind of inundated with this very smart and savvy. Uh, Art direction. Yeah. Basically getting your eyes and your brain in the mood for Christmas. Yeah. It's basically inviting. Guess what? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, like I said, it's warm. Mm. You ain't kidding. So what happens on night number one? So Kevin comes into his parents' bedroom. Yeah. um, And he's got to discuss a problem. Uncle Frank is watching this movie that he wants to watch. And he says only the big kids can watch it. Little kids can't watch it. And it's not even rated R. Nope. Nope. So Uncle Frank says no. Um, that's really clear right away that this kid is very precocious. Sure. Uh, and he's maybe um, wiser than he probably should be at eight years old. They say that happens a lot. Yeah. He uh, In, you know, families, big, big families like this. Yeah. Because we're not, it's not clear exactly which of these kids are Kevin's siblings and which are cousins. But it is end, clear. At the end, we know because we see which ones come At the home. end, yes. But yeah. still, the ones that come home, there's what? Like five or six of them? It's, you know what the clue is? What? The red-headed kids are his, They're are his all siblings. His siblings. Oh. Yeah. And the dark-haired kids are not, are his cousins. Interesting. And yet he's the young blonde lad mm-hmm. dressed as Jerry Seinfeld. Even Fuller. Fuller. We meet in a little bit. Played by Kieran Culkin. Played by his, his real younger brother. Who has can, darker yeah. hair. By the way, Kieran Culkin currently appearing on uh, TV's Fargo. Watch Fargo, the series, I've, and the movie. I just started watching the first season. Oh, you're welcome. So, among all this hubbub, Kevin can't find his toothbrush. Kevin's not allowed to watch the movie with Uncle Frank and the big kids. The policeman is still waiting in the lobby to talk to Mr. McCallagher. McCallagher? No. McAllister. Yeah. Played by Sharknado's John Hurd. Yeah. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. John Hurd uh, at one point said that uh, he thought this movie was a terrible film and it wasn't going to do well. And wow. obviously it did. And, and then um, after the fact, like, I think it was sort of like a, I regret, I kind of uh, regret being in this movie. And then after the fact, he was like, no, nah, I was completely wrong. And I'm happy to say I was wrong. I'm willing to bet this movie has paid for a couple of houses of his. Probably. By now. Um, and especially Home Alone 2 as well. Yeah. Not you, 3. You mentioned the toothbrush, which I think is an interesting point, because we see um, all these kids are packing. Yeah. And Kevin, it's it's clear Kevin kind of gets in trouble. There's a reference um, when he's talking to his 
his parents that maybe he almost burned the house down once <laughs> uh, when talking about using the hot glue gun in the in the basement to make Christmas ornaments. He's a curious kid. He likes to find things out for himself sometimes. Yeah. So they kind of usher him out. They they hand him off to his aunt who sets him down and says, "Go pack your your suitcase." Yeah. And he's like, "Whoa, pack my suitcase. That's an adult thing to do." Nice. So he um he goes about asking his siblings for help packing his suitcase. And, and you mentioned the toothbrush. Yeah. Because later on the toothbrush is going to be important, but we, we see his siblings packing and his, one of his older brothers. Played by uh, Mike Morona of Pete and Pete, Pete, Pete fame. Pete. He was one of the Pete's. You know it. He was older Pete. He goes, as he's packing up his things, he goes into the bathroom while he's sort of trying to ignore his brother. Yeah. And grabs a toothbrush. Did he steal Kevin's toothbrush? I believe he stole Kevin's toothbrush. By accident? Toothbrush. Oh, man. And we'll, we'll get evidence to that Ooh, later on. My mic's tipping over. Yeah, it is. Does John Hurd ever get to talk to the nice policeman who's coming around to check up on the security of the house? He does. He does. Um, and the, he tells the cop, yeah, we got automatic timer lights and we got this and that yeah. to make sure it looks like we're home for the holidays when really we're traveling to France. I That's a mistake. He says... That he's traveling to France. He gives no, but he lets them know they're going out of the, town. The pizza guy interrupts them. Yeah. And he he's like, I need $122. Now, Uncle Frank has already picked up the pizzas for the pizza man. And he's like, oh, I don't have any cash on it. It's my, my brother's house. Frank! Um, Uncle Frank's a jerk. And so uh, John Hurd's character, Mr. McCall- Peter McAllister, yeah. says, uh, my wife's got cash on her. She'll, she'll get you in a, in a second. And he heads into the kitchen. Now... Actually, prior to this, we get a couple other scenes with some of the other siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, one sister uh, refers to Kevin as essentially a problem child in yep. French, um, or a baby. Yeah. Um, he he meets Buzz. We meet Buzz. Buzz. In Buzz's room, who's uh, the oldest brother and kind of definitely a jerk. Oh, yeah. Tortures poor Kevin. Has a tarantula that he doesn't need to worry about too much because he just fed him a whole bunch of mice guts. So the tarantula is good for a couple weeks. But they also look out the window and they see who? Uh, The old neighbor. uh, Old man Marley. Marley, that's right. I knew it was a Christmassy name. Christmas reference there. Yeah. And old man Marley is shoveling snow and, and putting salt on the ground. And Buzz tells him this story. Do you remember the story? Not exactly. So the story is the old man Marley murdered a bunch of people, including his family. Oh, no. And the cops can't arrest him because they don't have enough evidence because yeah. they can't find the bodies. And the bodies were dissolved, or not dissolved, mummified in yeah. the salt. Gross. Uh, and then he, old man Marley looks up at them in the window and, and they quickly shut the blinds. No. And, Remember being a kid and being that scared of your yeah, neighbors? Absolutely. Fun times. Uh, so... Does- What's that? I was about to say, does anybody eventually pay for these darn pizzas? Well, they do. I, I want to okay. point out something with the pizza guy, though. Let me hear it. When he arrives, they start a gag that I really like in the film that they come back to over and over again. Okay. The pizza man screeches around the corner, pulls into the driveway really fast, and he hits the lo- the metal lawn jockey. I would say probably uh, bronze by the looks yeah. of it. And so then he gets out of his car and picks it up and puts it back. And we see that happen several times throughout the film that I really, I thought that was quite funny. The lawn jockey gag. Um, that poor thing. So the pizza guy does get paid, but he doesn't get paid till after people start eating that pizza. 
Yeah. Did you notice that? That's Pretty rude. That's interesting. So they go in the pizza, and Kevin's looking for cheese pizza, right? I have a feeling it's gone. And nobody saved him any, and Buzz torments him with it. Buzz is eating, like, the last piece. And uh, he says that Kevin can have some if he's willing to wait for Buzz to, to, to Ralph. Yeah. Which um, is awful. We've also learned that Kevin's going to have to bunk with Fuller. Oh, Fuller. So we see Fuller happily drinking a can of Pepsi and gives a little eyebrow waggle to right. to Kevin. To basically say, I'm peeing the bed tonight, bro. Yeah, it's, it's getting on you. You're going to get it. Uh, so Buzz pretends to like start to vomit up the cheese pizza and that just sets kevin off and he goes to tackle buzz yeah and uh they spill milk all over the counter oh gross it causes peter to get up quickly which causes soda to spill on uncle frank's pizza you know what serves uncle frank right yeah except for what what does uncle frank do yells at kevin yeah he calls him a little jerk look what you did you little jerk i don't like that yeah i don't like that at all uncle frank should have caught the soda before it spilled. So they sop up uh, the counter with a bunch of napkins, and then they throw the napkins away. What else happened with that? Jesus, I don't remember. Easy to miss. It's easy to miss. Uh, when they sop up the mess on the counter with the napkins, and yeah. they take the wad of napkins and throw it in the garbage, they accidentally also grabbed Kevin's plane ticket. Ooh! And you can see his name written at the top of the little thing. They're all the same. They're all red. Everything's red. Oh, um, Kevin's plane Which ticket. explains why they don't have a miscount of plane tickets at the airport and go, but there's not enough people here. Right. Good so, one. So it's a, it's a good good uh, thing on the uh, good little story development on the part of the writers. Throwing away Kevin's plane t- So this was an inside job. It's an inside job. So they get mad at Kevin, and his mom takes him, and she's like, you got to go upstairs. And so she's dragging him upstairs where she encounters the pizza man and pays him his money. Finally. Finally, this pizza guy. And she also talks to... The policeman? The policeman. Wink, And she wink. explains that they're going to Paris. Uh, and that normally their house isn't this crazy. But they've got all these relatives and some of them drove into town today. And, you know, Uncle Frank and his wife and the kids. And they got to leave early in the morning yep. at 8 a.m. To fly to Paris for the holidays. Yeah. Because who doesn't want to spend Christmas in Paris? Yeah. I, I want to know. know what the McAllisters do for a living. Because they it's, all seem to be fairly well off. It's definitely not, not explained in this movie. But even the, the the people they go to stay with in Paris. Right. Their apartment or whatever looks out onto the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. All lit up. I mean, it's not. It's a That's a pretty cheap. beautiful scene. Yeah. Gosh, what happens next? She takes Kevin upstairs, and she tells him... She takes him to, like, the attic. Well, she takes him upstairs, and she goes, get upstairs. And he goes, I am upstairs, dummy. Oh, yeah. So we know Kevin's Ooh. kind of a little bit of a brat. Oh, boy. And she opens the attic door and is like, up there. And he's yeah. like, the attic? It's creepy up there. And she's like, I'll send Fuller up later. And he's like, I don't want to sleep with Fuller. He'll pee all over me. <laughs> and she says, fine, we'll put Fuller somewhere else. You can sleep by yourself in the attic. And he goes... I'm sorry. And she says, too late. Yep. Get up there. Never call, your, never call your mom a dummy, kids. Yeah. Never, ever. Now, you mentioned the gold tooth earlier. Yeah. I did fail to mention that when Kevin's standing there and the mom's explaining this. Right. He sees that gold tooth and it glints at him. In yeah. His eye. The officer looks at him and gives him a, I think he gives him a wink even. Yeah, maybe. 
but he sees that gold tooth twinkle in the yeah. in the lights of the beautiful McAllister home. So uh he tells his mom that uh he wishes he didn't have a family. They're all everybody hates him and they're all stupid and he doesn't like any of them and he wishes they that they didn't exist and yeah. she's like say it again and maybe it'll happen and he's like you know maybe you won't you wake up with a different family and oh says, snap i don't want a different family i don't want a family at all Ooh, kevin and so he goes stomps up the stairs and he goes to bed essentially yeah going to bed hungry no pizza for him no pizza for him at all now Yes. Do they all wake up before Kevin the next morning? Because I feel like they must. They do. Um, in the middle of the night. The power goes out. The wind starts howling. And remember you commented on the uh, creepy Santa yeah. wreath. And I, like I said at the time, I think that Santa is there as kind of a creepy Santa because it's supposed to be an ominous kind of creepy scene. You can say that again. And the house is, there's a lot in the movie that's sort of designed to be kind of scary for a kid the church even is kind of yeah um creepy but um so the wind blows knocks a tree branch down into the power and phone lines right and the next thing we know kate wakes up Ooh. looks at her watch and it's like seven forty-five or oh no it's eight o'clock it's eight oh o'clock dang because the airport shuttles are outside knocking on the door oh yeah going they told us eight o'clock. What's the uh, so one shuttle driver is knocking on the door? What's the other one doing? Uh, is he dealing with the pesky neighbor kid? He not well, not yet. He's oh. picking up the lawn jockey that picking they, up the lawn jockey that, the, that they uh, knocked over. Knocked over. Um, let's talk about the neighbor kid. Yeah, um, one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, he also played the little brother in Overboard, starring Kurt Russell and Goldie oh, Hawn. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he plays, uh, the, if I'm not mistaken, it's Mitch Murphy, the, the pesky little neighbor kid with one of my favorite lines, which comes just a few moments later when they're about to leave in the, uh, in the airport shuttle vans. And he says, goodbye, bring me back something French. And I love that line because basically it's just like, it's such a like eighties spoiled kid Mm -hmm. line here, my neighbors leaving for the holidays and I'm not saying goodbye, happy holidays. I'm saying bring me back something, in this case, something French. Right. He doesn't even care what it is, just something French because yeah. he's a privileged little brat. Now, he has a couple lines and then he gets told to get lost. Yeah. Um, while the guy's, the airport guy is loading bags into the, the thing. And I noticed something that is a uh, somewhat common problem for Chris Columbus films with children. Oh, uh, nobody really watches these kids to make sure that they're um, not mouthing the lines of their adult counterparts because uh, <laughs> this happens in this film and it happens in the first two Harry Potter films with those actors. It happens in Star Star Wars The Phantom Menace with Natalie Portman. Oh, with uh, Jake Lloyd and Natalie Portman? She, no, she's mouthing some lines that Qui-Gon Jinn is saying. Really? Well, that's not yeah. a Chris Columbus movie, though. Well, no, but, but I'm saying it happens with kids. Yeah. She wasn't that young. She was like 14. Natalie Portman in Phantom Menace was no way she was 14. According to Weird Al's The Saga Begins, he's just nine and she's 14. I think her character is 14. The actress, I don't think, was 14. I don't know. Let's, let's... But either way, even if she's playing 14, that means she is essentially 14. Because what she's got to transform into that character. I mean, she was 14 in 1996. 
So she was definitely an adult. When uh No. Cause Phantom Menace was released in ninety nine. Which means they would have had to be, have been shooting her no later than ninety eight. So she was at least seventeen or eighteen years old. She was at most sixteen. Whatever. She was practically an adult. I don't feel comfortable discussing teenage Natalie Portman this much. <laughs> Let's move on. The McAllisters wake up late. They're running around like crazy. It's playing a song. Yeah. Everybody's running all around, getting ready, getting packed. You just mentioned the music. Yeah. Who did the music for this movie? If I had to guess, I would say none other than John Williams himself. It was John Williams and that, that famous Home Alone theme. Uh, man, that's, that's, that's really Christmassy. You ain't kidding. That, that is so associated with Christmas now. And why shouldn't it? I mean, it's right up there along with uh, Daru Dore from uh, Grinch. Don't get all teary-eyed. Why do you have to mention that? Why? So, yeah, so the the, the, the kid annoys the baggage driver's family sure runs does. around. Um, they ask uh, one of the girls, the oldest girl. Yes, played by Kristen Minter. Rrr. Kristen Minter. Kristen Minter plays ER. the, the... Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, she was on the ER. They tell um, her to take a head count of the kids. Yeah. She does this by literally touching each of their skulls. Including her own. Including her own, which I always thought was funny. I feel like I can count myself without having to actually put my hand on my own head. Yeah. But I didn't direct the movie. Yeah. I And I think we maybe figured out why that happens. Interesting. So, so a, couple things, a couple things happen in this scene. One... Kevin is still asleep in the attic. Right. So he wouldn't be counted. But that annoying little Mitch Murphy is in the van with his back to everyone else. Right. So when she touches his head, she thinks that's Kevin. So she counts him. Something else interesting happens. Does she double count someone? She does. She double counts herself. Herself. But that should, in theory, give them an extra kid. An extra kid. But she still counts 11. So my theory is Very this, strange. That... One of the children wasn't ready or available when they shot that scene. Uh-huh. One of the actor kids. So they had her count herself twice thinking nobody would notice. And I never noticed until I saw it just recently. Hmm. So the only way to really get across the count and kind of hide that is for her to touch each of the heads. Interesting. Hmm. That's my theory. Well, it seems just as good as any. I don't think there are any other theories about it, right? Yeah. So she counts herself twice and counts the wrong kid once. They get buckled up. They go buckled up. Bring me back something French. Yep. They go to the airport. They run through it. Run, run, Rudolph. It's not just playing. It's blasting. Yeah. Because Santa's got to make it to town. Sure. They're hauling rear to the airport. In what airport? Uh, it would have to be Chicago O'Hare, right? Yeah, I mean, it could be Midway, but yeah, it's Chicago, Midway. It's Chicago it O'Hare. Midway. Um, they get to the gate. Well, what's what's O'Hare known for? Being like the busiest airport in the world. And they shot the scenes in O'Hare no. while it was operating. Certainly not. They did. The busiest airport, in, at least in the country. Uh, one of the busiest in the world. And uh, they shot it while, you know... That's crazy. Operating. Yep. Straight up cray dog. It is cray dog. Do they all get on the plane? Everybody but Kevin. Everybody but Kevin. If they get on the plane, the adults are in first class. As it should coach. be. Um, Children should absolutely never be seated in first class. And they start unless relaxing. Unless they're very tall. Um, now, when, when uh, 
they get on the plane. That's when we get to go back to the house and we see Kevin wake up. Oh, yeah. And then he finds out that no one is home. He made his family disappear. Yeah. Um, and he's enjoying it. And as the plane takes off, we get to see Kevin walking around the house. Right. And he realizes that he's alone and it's all like peaceful and stuff. Right. And the family cars are still in the garage, which is why he thinks they just disappeared rather than that they got in the cars and drove to the airport. Exactly. Um, and he's way too happy about making his family disappear. Now he ends up in the basement while looking for everybody. Ooh. And the furnace comes to life yeah the and, furnace monster yeah and of course it scares kevin um there's something kind of cool with that scene because they sort of set the scene up to be uh a kind of a creepy scene because you know this the scary things happening and and as kids we've all kind of been there as oh adults, sure like they go there sometimes you know like sometimes you just don't want to be in a creepy dark place by yourself i uh am still not a very big fan of uh taking the trash out at my mother's house after dark yeah that was a very scary backyard we had all right Lots of bushes and trees. Not even that. Just uh, I grew up in a neighborhood that was very suburban but also had back alleys. Yeah. And so just, you know, there was just something always scary about being back there by the alley at night. Yeah. Like anything could happen back there. Yeah. It's an alley in the dark. Jason could come out and punch your head into a garbage can. He could. Freddy Krueger might reach that, around that any corner with that, that uh, yeah, with that, uh, with that glove of his. Does Kevin enjoy going into the basement? He doesn't. No. Um, and, and that's why I kind of wanted to talk about sort of how they set that scene up. There's all of these, like, mannequins down there. Yeah. Uh, and ha- torsos and heads and stuff. And that's partially a setup for later in the film. Right. As we go, well, how, how would he have gotten all these mannequins that are in the basement? But there's also some other things, like, um, there's a really creepy kind of flattened old man mask oh just yeah like hanging and it's in the floor it's like clear in the foreground so yeah i think you know it's it's interesting how they sort of set the basement up to be kind of scary with these faceless figures and faces kind of deflated laying around and stuff yeah. and then they reveal this furnace that comes to life yeah it kind of talks doesn't it say hi kevin or i think it i think it does it like a yeah kind of thing. um and the pipes move uh. you can actually see some of the strings um to get oh the God. pipes to move that the little puppetry thing going on there but i never uh, saw the strings so he he realizes his his wife his wife his, his wish comes true and he goes freaking nuts sure he runs all the way up to the uh attic doesn't he he runs i don't know if he goes back on the attic or not he, he definitely runs upstairs to the top landing and looks at the camera and screams oh yeah that's true um which apparently uh audience audiences loved i find it very annoying Hmm. But uh, whatever. They do, it tw- the screen. they do it two or three times in the film. Twice on that landing where he runs up in kind of a fast motion and yeah. looks right at the camera and screams. Uh, he jumps on beds. He eats junk food like a bunch of ice cream. Um, he goes into Buzz's room and finds Playboy. Oh, boy. And thinks it's silly that everybody's naked on every page. Yeah. Uh, he finds firecrackers. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Where do we never go in this film? Where do we never go? Do you mean just in terms of the house? Yeah. They go into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Basement, you attic. Two different bathrooms in the film. Kitchen. Uh, does he ever go into the garage? Uh, no, the garages are outside, so we see them. All right. Because we see that the cars are parked in them. Where do we never go in this film? 
We never once see Kevin's room. No. Not a single time in the film do they go to Kevin's room. They only go into Buzz's room, his parents' room. We don't see the, the girl's bedroom. We never see Kevin's bedroom. We never see Kevin's bedroom? Like, it makes sense that he never goes into his sister's room, maybe. Sure. But the fact that he never once goes into his own bedroom is really interesting to me. Wow. Because think about how much you would get, and maybe this is why they don't do it, how much... Um, can you infer from the things that somebody has on their wall and sure. the toys that they have and things like that? We never actually see Kevin's room. He only is in Buzz's room. Weird. Rooms. Yeah. Huh. It's a big house. A very big You'd house. you think that he would go there at some point. I always just assumed that he did. And we, you yeah. know, wow. I mean, it's we probably also Kevin's a nice, room. like, telling mom, telling thing identifier for the kid that his parents are gone and he's really happy about it, but he still sleeps in their bed. He he clearly misses them. Yeah, and though, it's the biggest bed in the house. Yeah. I think he, even though he pretends that he doesn't want them around, he does. Hmm. Um, but anyways, dear Kevin, he finds a photograph in Buzz's trunk. Is it Buzz's girlfriend? Buzz's girlfriend. And so you, mean. You said something. Yeah, you said that. What did you say when we were watching that? I think I said something like that. Poor girl. Right. So that's interesting because that's not actually a girl. Chris Columbus uh, did not want to cast some girl and have her viewed as ugly. Well, that's good of him. He, he thought that would be a horrible thing to do to a young girl. So and, he, and it would. They they paid a boy to dress in a wig and put makeup on. That's funny. So that way it would be okay to say that she was ugly. And that boy is? No idea. Oh, that's got to be on IMDb. Maybe. Look it up. Probably like some producer's son or something. Look it I'll up. I'll let you look that up and I'll continue on in the story. Okay. Kevin finds BB gun in Buzz's room and he has target practice with Buzz's starting lineup figures. Yeah, with his starting lineup figures. Which you don't, you and know, a spatula. don't shoot those with a BB gun. He watches the film that Uncle Frank wouldn't let him watch. Oh, film called Angels, Angels with Filthy Souls. With Filthy Souls. It's a play on the James Cagney movie Angels with Dirty Faces. A little gangster movie. Uh he eats this gigantic bowl of ice cream and um the, the movie shows one gangstery guy murder another gangster guy. Yeah. And um, snakes. Snakes. Uh, he, um, they talk about AC and snakes. They, uh, Kevin puts his hands over his eyes and kind of peeks through to watch this thing. So clearly it probably is not a movie for kids. Nope. Yeah. Um, filthy animal. Yeah. There's some, some great dialogue in that, in that thing on the DVD and Blu-ray. You can watch the uh, full Angels with Filthy uh, with filthy Souls. Nice. Scene. It's pretty short. A lot less gunfire in the actual <laughs> recording of it than they have in the, in the movie. Oh, that's good. So back on the plane, uh, the mom, Kate, feels like she's forgotten something, which is how I feel every time I travel. I think that's kind of a common thing. So it's a nice play on something normal. Every time. And they kind of go over all these things. They realize maybe they didn't shut the garage, which we know they didn't because the cars are poking out of it. Yeah. And then as she sits back down, she realizes she forgot Kevin. Oh, no. I'm not quite sure how she comes to the realization other than maybe she just realizes she never saw him. But, like, there's so many kids, it would make sense that maybe she wouldn't remember seeing him, that maybe she would have to go back in the plane and look at the kids and then realize that he's not there. I always thought it was kind of strange. I think it's a bit more of the old uh, kind of indirect thought 
uh, theory. I don't know if that's what it's called. Okay. But uh, like in psychology class, you know, they, they said that you're more likely to remember a thing once you really stop trying to remember it. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe. A lot of other people say like if you just lay your head down, you'll remember it. That yeah. sort of thing. So it's sort of like when she finally decides like, okay, I'm just being paranoid. I'm going to take my husband's advice. I'm just going to chill. She does. She Relax. Back. Yeah. Sit back. Everything's fine. I'm sure of it. I can relax. And then it's like as soon as she's relaxed, then that thing sure. she's been racking her brain for the whole time finally right. comes to the surface. I could buy that. I, buy I think that. that happens a lot, frankly. Walt agrees. So she realizes that they've forgotten Kevin, but of course they're over the Atlantic, so there's nothing they can do about it right now. Not a thing. Meanwhile, Kevin decides to do some sledding. Oh, yeah. Where? Righteous sledding. Righteous sledding. Where, where at? He takes his pretty sweet toboggan made out of like three kinds of wood down the steps of the house straight out the front door and across the yard into a big tree did you notice a problem with that plan uh the stairway to the door is at a bit of a dutch angle there's no way he could have made it up there let me tell you something pal i've pulled some pretty amazing turns with a toboggan in my day yeah so it's not likely but it's possible probably not on carpet and hardwood definitely not on carpet and hardwood you're right about that. That sled is uh, currently in Chris Columbus's office. Nice. It's signed by the entire cast. <gasps> That's awesome. He says maybe if he ever gets hard up, he'll go on eBay. I'm going to make it my goal that one day I am so successful that I him. can buy that sled oh. from him. Um, and so, then I'm going to sled it. So that night, Harry and Marv, Harry being the, the policeman? The policeman. <gasps> Wait uh, a minute. Pesci, the gold tooth cop, um, clearly bad guys. Oh um, no! They're, they're in their van now. Uh, Joe Pesci plays Harry, and Daniel Stern plays Marv. It's interesting. Daniel Stern um, is actually quite an accomplished actor. Oh yeah. Um, very funny, but also can play a straight man. But after this movie, only got goofy parts. Yeah, uh, bushwhacked. Just yeah, a lot of stuff like that. It's yeah, just silly. And I feel like it almost kind of killed his career. You don't really see him in anything. I'd hardly say killed. That what guy do is doing just fine. Oh, I'm sure he's doing fine, but is because he's got a lot of residuals. But I don't. You don't see him in anything anymore. He's Daniel Stern, man. He was the voice of grown up Kevin in the Wonder Years for prior how to, many of those prior years? Prior to this movie, no Wonder Years straddled Home Alone. Okay, yes, but I mean Wonder Years started. Yeah. Prior to this film. And then kept on going. It went on for a little while longer. But Daniel Stern's doing just fine. All right, look him up. You let me know. How many I'd love great, to. Great movies he's been in lately. Um, so anyways, they're in there talking about how they've cased these houses. There's five houses. And Harry even knows the uh, like when the timers are going to come on. He's like, this one comes on now. And then the yeah. lights come on. So he, they've, they've got this thing figured out. And... The silver tuna, the big house that they're really excited about. <laughs> the silver tuna. Is the McAllister's home. Ooh, Casa de McAllister. So they're really excited about it. So they pull up to the house, which wakes Kevin up. <gasps> He's been sleeping in the chair after watching Angels of Filthy Souls. Oh, yeah. I think the Grinch is playing. It is. Because um, I have to hear uh, that song. It wakes him up when they pull up and get out of their car. And he sees these shadows creeping around outside. So he runs all through the house and turns turn the lights on. And so when the burglars see the lights come on, they're like, oh, I thought they were out of town. we we got to wait. So they leave. 
All right. The family arrives in Paris, and they run through another airport, and they try to use a payphone to call the police, and they kind of push away this French woman who's trying to make her phone call. Yeah. Um, Kate calls the police while the others, like the kids and the aunt, call other people in their phone book. Nobody's at home. Um, now, earlier in the film, we learn a key piece of information about why she's not calling Kevin. The phone lines have busted. The phone lines have busted, which we see the tree branch, but right before they leave in the shuttle, yeah. the power repairman says, we got the power back on the house, right. but it's going to be days before they can, Ma Bell, Ma Bell. can, can uh, fix the phone lines. So she can't call Kevin. Yep. Nice way to prevent an idiot plot. Agreed. So they Have call- you seen the meme about how Home Alone absolutely couldn't happen these days because the of phones, texting and Uber and all that yeah, jazz? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sad. Um, so she's trying to call the police. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kevin gets his courage up. He gets out from under the bed and he's like, you know what? I'm the man of the house now. The man of the house doesn't hide under a bed. So nice. he goes outside and he's like, I ain't afraid of you. I'm, I found my courage. Um, and, of course, the thieves are gone. But he runs into someone else. Mr. Marley. This old man Marley, the murderer. Ooh, and he runs screaming back into his house. The neighborhood murderer. Runs back screaming into his house and hides again. Yeah. Kate calls the police and kind of gets the runaround from them. I'll say. They send, him to, they send her to, uh, like, essentially Child Protective Services. Right. Family intervention, I think they call it. And then they send him back to the police because they're like, you just want us to check on the kid? Um, the guy that plays the family intervention yeah. thing, uh, the crisis intervention, he's a famous actor, a character actor, right? He's I, been in tons of stuff. I feel like he was in like SCTV and stuff with a lot of these other actors. Perhaps, like, yeah. He's a Chicago kind of with, um, uh, what's her face? Catherine, Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara, yeah. And John Candy also was an SCTV guy. That's true. They were all Second City, I think, Yeah, is what it was. I'm um, pretty sure that guy came out of there. He was uh, probably most, well, maybe not most famously, but he played the guy auditioning to play Kramer when Jerry right. and George were f- about to get the right. sitcom on the air. Gotcha. And he stole the, uh, <laughs> the jar of peanuts or whatever it was from so, the audition. Yes. So eventually she gets convinces them that they need to go check on her son, Kevin. And they finally agree. Yeah. Is this thing is it messing we up? Could, well, we can do this. We can fix Steve's mic real quick. Well, it just keeps tipping uh, yeah, because the arm is reaching too yeah, far. Uh, so that's why I'm keeping my arm here so it doesn't tip. All right. You're learning all about sound engineering, kids. So the police show up and knock on the door, but Kevin's too scared to answer it. He thinks it's the burglars or old man Marley. Old man Marley. So he doesn't answer and they're just like, oh, nobody's home. Yeah, tell so, that account of kids again. You know who uh, who played the police officer checking on Kevin? Who? Chris Columbus's father-in-law. Whoa! This movie is filled with family members and girlfriends and wives and things. Uh huh. That's why I think the the kid that played the girlfriend in the photograph was maybe a producer's. Yeah, I just looked it up. Kid. Um, I couldn't get the name, but apparently it was the son of the art director. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. And according to the the actor who played Buzz, he says the art director's son was more than willing to dress up as a girl <laughs> and and appear in that photograph. Well, I mean, otherwise you don't get to be in the movie. So, True. Yeah. True okay. that, yo. 
So the family back in Paris tries to get tickets home. Um, the ticket counter woman is a young Hope Davis. Hope Davis doing um, the next flight is two days away that they can get on. So, Not too long of a wait. Yeah, it's a long time though when you got an eight year old at home by himself. A very capable eight-year-old man. But they don't think he's capable. Remember, they, yeah. they go to great lengths to talk about, especially his siblings, go to great lengths to talk about how he can't do anything for himself. Yep. They, the parents have to do everything for him. They think he's a cotton-headed ninny muggins. Or, yeah, or else he would burn the house down again in another reference. Mm, boy. So Kate decides to wait for a standby seat, and the rest of the family decides to leave and come back in two days. Makes sense. Sounds all right. Because they're not going to get two standby seats. They're going to get one. Yeah. So that happens. Um, the next morning, Kevin does like a little ritual, a little morning ritual. He he sprays spray on deodorant. Yeah. He's got his hair slicked back. And he puts on he does the, um, puts on the aftershave. Well, the he, he shaves with his dad's razor first, doesn't he? No. Doesn't he do? Oh, I always thought he did a little fake shave. No, no fake shave. I think there oh. was something that they were going to work in. And I think there was a whole thing about how um, the dad uses an electric razor. Oh. But at the beginning, he asks the mom, Kate, uh, about getting his new razor. And oh. she didn't have time for it. And he was like, well, how am I going to shave in France? And she says, grow a goatee. So this idea that he doesn't actually have a razor right now. Grow a goatee. That's what she says. I guess. She's on the phone. She's like, just grow a goatee. Nobody tells Peter McAllister to grow a goatee. Let me tell you what. <laughs> okay. Nobody. I'm sorry. So uh, so he puts on the, the aftershave and he does the famous scream. Yeah. The slap your face and scream scream. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, the idea behind is the uh, famous painting. Oh, of course. The scream on the bridge. That one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. Still not sure why that's famous, but whatever, art world. There is something that um, Kevin Yeah, is, I said it. What? Something that Kevin is missing. Ah! What, what is, is that? Kevin doesn't have a toothbrush. Oh, that's right. That because his brother maybe took his toothbrush. For whatever reason, it's gone. So he goes into Buzz's room, so climbs up some shelves to get to a, a tin box on a shelf. Um, of course, they all break under his weight. Oh, yeah. Everything comes crashing down. The tarantula escapes unbeknownst to Kevin. Mm. I think we assume it's unbeknownst to Kevin. Runaway tarantula. But he gets um, the tin box, which has got money in it, some cash. How much cash? We don't know. Enough for him to get by on a couple of days. Oh, yeah, because he's ordering pizzas. Yeah. He's grocery shopping, this, that, and the other thing. Yep. Um, Both, basically those two things. Next door... The bandits are cleaning out somebody's house. Ooh. Maybe the Murphys. I'm pretty sure it is the Murphys. Yeah. Might be the Murphys. Yeah. I don't remember what the answer machine says. But the answer machine um, comes on, and you hear the person who owns the house, uh, you know, we're not home, leave a message. That is played by Raja Gosnell. Oh. Who was the editor on Home Alone. Nice. But made his directorial debut. Yeah. On Home Alone 3. Nice. Yeah, the better of the keep it in the of family. The movies. No, no, it is not. Um, do you know Home Alone Four was it made for TV film? Really? Yep. I'm not entirely sure. I knew there was a Home Alone Four. I'm gonna IMDb that right now. Sure. <clears throat> Does uh, Kevin pay for his toothbrush? Well, we're gonna get there. Hold oh. On. They hear the answer machine message, and it's Peter McAllister leaving a message saying, "Hey, just confirm we're in." You know, calling to check in again. 
we're in Paris. This is the number. This is the country code. Blah 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 blah. And the the burglars are like, yes, they are in Paris now. Let's rob that house tonight. Yes, let's. So Kevin goes shopping, and he goes to buy a toothbrush. And he's like, hey, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? And you know, causes a whole thing where the you know he's acting very grown up about it. Oh sure. And so the people are looking to find out that information for him. And in walks somebody in boots. <gasps> Who is it? Mr. Marley. Old man Marley. With a big injury on his one hand. With his injury on his hand. On what part of his hand? I'm assuming the palm. Well, we see that there's blood on the palm when he slams his hand But we also kind of see that there's blood on the back of his on hand, too. On the back too. of his hand. So let's come back to that a little bit later. Because I think that's an interesting idea that I'm going to run with. And make up a completely crazy claim. I do it all the time. So, um, Kevin freaks out and runs out of the store. Without paying. Stealing the oh, man. God so, forbid somebody shoplifts in Chicago. He runs home. There's the cop giving somebody a ticket. And the, the bag boy at the store goes, hey, shoplifter. And so the cop chases after him. And Kevin does this Wouldn't happen. famous sliding across the ice on his knees thing and runs across a bridge and gets away thank goodness and then he's all bummed out because otherwise this movie would be in jail yeah and certainly not alone yeah so uh but if the cop had caught him yeah maybe not just in jail but this movie would be over i would hope then they would know hey we got your kid um so speaking of crime Bandits finish up and they leave the water running. They stuff some rags in the sink and they leave the water running as sort of a calling card. They are the wet bandits. It's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I'll admit it. Terrible idea, wet bandits. Uh, and then when um, Marv gets in the car, he he places a snow globe he's stolen from the house oh. on the dash. And we see that there's several on there. And um, they every time they break into a house, besides leaving the water on, he steals a snow globe out of their houses. Not a great idea, Marv. Yeah. Now, I thought there was only four on the dash initially, but it turns out there was more than that, maybe. Okay. I don't know if it was a mistake or not. I thought it was a reference that they had broken into the four houses, and they mm. only had the fifth silver tuna left. But um, either it was a mistake, or I'm, I am mistaken that there was more than four on the dash already. That's pretty scary. So the two thieves start to pull out of the driveway and they're arguing about this whole, like, leaving a calling card and it's kind of dumb and all this stuff. And they don't see Kevin as they're going down the driveway. Um, they almost hit him at the last second. They smash on the brakes. And uh, that scene looks pretty good. That car almost nailing him because he does this really funny turn and yeah. scream at the and grill of the van. That van is moving at his face. Yeah. They, Terrifyingly uh, they so. They shot that scene in reverse, a la the French Connection. That's good. Yeah. That makes me feel a lot better about how yeah. that moment was captured. Because it looks pretty good. Absolutely. Um, so anyways, they uh, they warn him that the, he's got to be more careful, and they apologize to him. Uh, Daniel Stern's character says, Santy, don't visit kids <laughs> yeah. in the morgue or something like that. In the right? funeral home, in I the think. the funeral home, yeah. Maybe it is morgue. I feel like it's... Ah. It might be funeral home. I think you're right. If you're listening, you've seen it, you know for sure. Santy. I like he calls him Santy. Santy, don't visit little boys in the funeral home so they apologize they wish him merry christmas and and harry smiles at kevin and kevin sees the gold tooth and he freaks out (gasps) and they realize he freaks out and they're like let's see where what house he goes into so they start following him yeah kind of like very looney tunes kind of way like a dun dun 
Yeah. But they're in the van, of course. So, in like, the Kevin okay stops. Okay, plumbing van. So they stop the van. Kevin goes, so they start going. Kevin starts running, so they start driving faster. And uh, Kevin runs to a church and he hides in this nativity scene. Where he gets the shawl that he puts over himself, I don't know. I don't know either. Because none of the statues have clothing on. They all have... Not that we can see. It's molded. All the clothing that we see on the statues is molded like part of the statue. Right. So where he got that, who knows. Um, So they drive on by. They're like, oh, the church? I don't want to go in the church. I'm a bad guy. We can't go in there. We'll burn up alive. It's sort of what they... All true things about criminals. Yeah. Um, so when they leave, he runs home and he uh, he decides, hey, these people are, are up to no good. I'm going mm. to be ready for them. So when they show up that night, there's like super loud music. Like there's a big party going on. And there's yeah. all these people, in, like shadows of people, like moving around the house, walking from room to room, playing cards, drinking drinks. And then it goes inside, and we see that Kevin has rigged those mannequins from downstairs. Pretty inventive. Um, and Buzz's uh, cardboard stand-up of Michael Jordan. Right. It's which going is around my, on a train. Yeah, the train. I thought that was a pretty ingenious uh, idea. Sort of. So they originally, um, the plan was to have him playing music on the piano, so that way they would go, oh, there's something going on in there. Yeah. Uh, and Macaulay Culkin actually kind of learned how to play a song on the piano. Oh, that's nice. Before that, and then they were like, this doesn't work. Hmm. So, um, they switched it up. They pulled an old switcheroo. That's good. Because, yeah, I love the uh, rocking around the Christmas tree moment. Yeah. Oh, there's a dog under there. And he's got, uh, he's got, did you just notice the little thing around his, he's wearing, he's got, he's got ropes tied to him and he's doing the little dance. Yeah, he's, he's basically he's, operating like a marionette. And he's got like a box on, around, on a rope around his neck. I don't remember seeing that. The box is, a, is an old laugh box. You push a button and it would make laughter. Oh, funny. So he would had that going so that way there would be laughter if they came up close enough to the house. They would hear people laughing and stuff and go, oh, there's people in there. Why that would be in Kevin McAllister's house, I don't know. I'm assuming know. it's in his basement with all the other mannequins and garbage. Sure. So maybe, you know, uh, they're, they're rich because they own a special effects studio in Chicago or something. I don't know. So far, that's the m- most logical thing that we've heard, You're come right. to think of it. They're, they're friends with Abe Froman. Oh, the Sausage King of Chicago. Indeed. So the, so the guys leave, do they? Yes. They some, don't try to get in that night? Not not that night. Okay. Uh, but somebody else shows up that night. The pizza delivery guy? The pizza delivery guy. Oh, man. Um, he He's hits in the trouble. jockey again. Has to fix that. And he's uh, rigged sort of the, the delivery and the payment with the gangster movie. Yeah. One of the more ingenious parts of this film, I think. Because it, it would very never, funny. ever, ever work, especially in the days of VHS. Right. Timing that would never happen. But it's such wish fulfillment, I think, for <laughs> young people, like especially kids. Right. You want it to work and you just buy into it because it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, and he gets this cheese pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, they do the, he does this whole thing like... You know, he plays the, the tape and it's like, bring it around back. So the guy brings around, he's like, leave it at the door. And he puts it down. And the guy's like, uh, you got to pay me. You know, what about the money? And the guy's, you know, he plays the tape. What about the money? <laughs> like, you owe me money. And he's, he puts it down there and he's like, keep the change. You, you filthy, filthy animal. animal. And the guy's like, because uh, he gives him $12 and it's like eleven fifty. Yeah. And the guy's like, uh, cheapskate. And he's like, I'll tell you what, 
I'm gonna give you ten seconds to get your filthy yellow blah 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 blah. No good keister. Yeah, and uh, then the gunfire happens and scares the poor pizza guy. It's a pretty great scene. It's pretty great. It's terrifying though. In this post, uh, you know, uh, everything that's happened in the last four weeks world. Year, everything's happened in the last the year. The idea, oh, yeah. No. The idea of, you know, getting shot at while on a pizza delivery is it's pretty scary stuff. So, uh, in It's Paris, scarier now than it was then. Kate is trying to get on a plane. Yeah. Now, I thought she was trying to get on a plane to Dallas-Fort Worth. That might be the case, because, but she doesn't end up in Dallas. She ends up in a... Uh, Scranton. She ends up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Um... And she's trying to convince this old woman to let her on the plane and mm-hmm. to take these other tickets. So here's two first class tickets for Friday, five hundred dollars, a pocket translator, uh, my fake Rolex watch, the earrings, and and the earrings, and uh, and the, the husband's like, she doesn't need any of that stuff. We need to get home. She's, she's got, got a whole shoebox full of earrings at home. Dangly, ones. dangly ones. Yeah, the dangly ones. Good old Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin. That was the actor, not not the other Bill Irwin. There's a different Bill Irwin, isn't there? Well, no, but that guy was Bill Irwin. There might be another Bill Irwin. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of a different Irwin, something Irwin. Irwin, the guy who's like a famous like. Uh, Are you thinking Irving Berlin? No, 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 no. Um, Steve like a Irwin, mime, mime, famous mime. Like like a he's like a comedian who who's really well known for like physical comedy, and he's done like a lot of pantomime. Billy the mime? No. Uh-uh. I don't think so. I'll, I'll I'll try and think of it, and later if I think of what it is, I'll let you know. All he's right. got a he's got a very Matt Frewer uh, look to him. Huh? He was in some music videos with like uh, maybe Paul Simon as a mime, or maybe Bobby McFerrin, or maybe both. I know exactly who you're talking about. Something Irwin, right? Maybe. Yeah, you look that up while I I go over the the plot here. Eventually, so they they the old couple turns around to leave. And, uh, um, he, uh, she goes from one mother to another, please help me. I just have to get back to my kid. And they take pity on her. And the old man's like, all right. So she gets on the plane as Kevin is about to go to bed. He starts to miss his family or we see Bill Irwin is his name, right? It's not the same Bill Irwin you're talking about. The other one's Bill Irwin, uh, Irwin with an E R W I. Oh, okay. I was like, wow, that, that name sounds really familiar. He's a, he's a famous pantomime guy, that guy. Yeah. Um, so Kevin's starting to miss his family. Um, he has a photo of his family, and he, mm. he tries to wish them back before he goes to sleep, and he kisses the photo and puts it under the pillow. Mm. The next morning, they're not there, um, and he goes to get ready again, and he does the whole ritual, and he's singing uh, White Christmas. I think that might have been the earlier. Sounds about right. It's a scene. Singing White Christmas, he does the whole aftershave thing again and screams. They do they do things multiple times in this film. Yeah, kind of interesting. They do the the gangster thing multiple times. They do the scream at the top of the stairs multiple times. They do the the aftershave thing multiple times. Kind of strange. Normally, you'd be like the lawn jockey knockover a couple times. Well, that's a little different because it's a smaller thing and. they don't actually show everybody hit it. Like the, they don't show the um, shuttle guys hitting it. They just show them putting it back. Hmm. I'll take your word for it. So, um, so basically, um, Kevin goes about shopping for groceries. He does laundry. The furnace comes alive again, and he's just like, "Shut up!" 
um, <laughs> rendering it inanimate. Yeah. Basically, Kevin's growing up, and he's doing things for himself for the first time. He's acting like an adult. There's I like a, it. A great scene when he's shopping and he, he encounters the, the the clerk, the girl. Yeah. Selling him this this stuff, and she's like, "Are you by yourself?" And he's like, "Lady, I'm eight years old." Why would I be by myself? <laughs> Where's your mom? She's in the car. Where's your dad? He's at work. Yeah. Where do you live? I can't tell you that. Why? Because you're a stranger. Uh, apparently, the stranger line uh, was improvised. Oh, really? Yeah. That was uh, They just let him go. They just hmm. let him ask and answer questions, and he just improvised that line. It's very uh, reminiscent of his role in Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. Uh, what's your when, when Buck asked him, "What's your record for uh, consecutive questions asked?" Twenty six. Yeah. Great stuff. I'm a kid. That's my job. I'm a kid. That's my job. So, uh, outside, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where. Oh, they're they're outside the house, and Harry and Marv are confused about whether people are home or not because they've been through this whole thing. Yeah. And Harry sends Marv to go check it out. Uh oh. Kevin this sees. This is a bad idea, Marv. Marv outside. Uh, when Marv tries to check the doggy door, he puts his foot in the door and then he loses his shoe. Uh, we had this Mistake. sort of discussion. There's a doggy door scene in Ferris Bueller. We also have um, sort of the villain of the movie of Ferris Bueller also loses his shoe outside the house. Yeah. Um, he loses it in mud. Yeah. Just interesting idea. Um, that raises the question, where the heck is their dog? Where is the McAllister family dog? I, I, I did have a realization after I asked you that question. Okay. Uh, that dog's dead. It's dead. That's Why? Like, that dog's dead. Why do you think that? Because where is it? I think it doesn't make any they sense. put it in the kennel earlier in the first day of the movie. I don't think the so. The movie starts at night. I think they put the dog in the kennel earlier that day. So Kevin never once uses the idea that they have a dog to imply danger to the criminals. We never see any dog toys. We never see any mention of the dog. And we never see a single photograph of the dog. Okay. Then my other theory, which is that they just happen to have moved into a house with a doggy door and haven't bothered to replace it yet. Yeah. They're rich, though. It seems, seems unlikely to me. I feel like they would... With they're how, rich, but they're also busy. With how they're very busy people. well taken care of the entire house is and how much the money they put into decorating it green and red, I feel like they would have taken care of that door. I, think I disagree. I think it's more likely the dog has died and they got rid of all of the toys and memories of the dog because it hurts too much. I disagree. I don't know. I think it's probably... You want the dog to be dead and that's sick. I think it's an oversight that... You're um, making me sick. More likely that it's there for the sake of the joke. Because not only does he lose the shoe through there, we get the BB gun incident later through the dog door as well as the second BB gun incident when he looks through the door. Yeah. Reminiscent of Ferris Bueller's death. I Um, think the dog's in the kennel. Okay. Alive and well. They don't bring a dog home. I'm just saying. Well, they're not gonna come. They're not gonna get out of the airport just, and go straight to the I'm kennel. I'm just saying we never see the dog. There's no hint of a dog except for the door. So, anyways, he reaches in and he gets his shoe back. And Kevin uses the old movie again, the gangster movie, to scare Marv. Oh yeah! This time he takes the firecrackers he found in Buzz's trunk. Good plan. Puts them in a pot by the door. And Safety when first. The gunfire goes off. He uh, lights the the firecrackers on fire so now it sounds extra real yeah and when you see him laughing and he does the keep the change you filthy animal uh he mouths those words that Aww. was that was done at the spur of the moment they just decided to throw that in oh nice it was not scripted way to go macaulay so he uh 
Marv runs back to the van. He's totally scared, wants to leave. He's like, somebody else has already been casing this house, and somebody got blown away inside. And he's like, who is in there? And he's like, I don't know, some guy named Snakes. I know I recognize the voice. Yeah. And they're like, Snakes, Snakes. I don't, re- I don't know, no Snakes. We got. I shoot. do. So, he, so they decide that they're going to stick around. You do know someone named Snakes. Um, they're going to stick around because if they get fingered for one of these jobs right and there there's a murder tied to it it'd be good to have a face to go with it right basically so they can roll over and plead their way down to exactly well you know a lighter sentence exactly. good thinking guys so i mean you know crime doesn't pay kids but yeah good it, thinking it makes it back to the states she's in uh scranton scranton pennsylvania home of home uh, of dunder mifflin, dunder mifflin. and uh, and uh, the karen foundation yeah so uh she's there but she can't get a flight to chicago she's like dealing with the ticket guy and he's there's nothing he can do she's Mm-mm. arguing with them uh there is uh a this is where it happens yeah a conspicuous gentleman standing behind her in line yes who is this gentleman well his name is gus and he's played by the late no not that guy he's which guy me. The other Oh, guy. you're talking about this ridiculous moment. So there's someone right. standing, two people behind her. There's a tall guy with a chubby face and a beard, two people behind her. And distinctive eyes. You said you thought his eyes. I would say I that thought it was in, kind of his nose. I would say that in one shot his eyes do look close enough that I can see why people would get that impression. So there is a a group of people a following that believe that yep. this extra standing behind her is none other than Elvis Presley who faked his death. Ridiculous. I'm just saying, people believe it. Oh, I believe people believe it. People are ridiculous. But somebody else is standing behind her on the other side of her. Oh, and yeah. He kind of walks over because he hears her situation. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, this is Gus that you're talking about. Play by. The late, great John Candy. John Candy. May he rest in peace. Absolutely. Now, here is where... This is a great idea. This is a great theory. I love it. I just heard this new theory. The theory is that Kevin's mom, in that moment, sells her soul to the devil himself. Now, does she say that she'll sell her soul? To get a ride home. She does. And when she says, I will sell my soul to the devil, if it means yada, 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 that's when John Kennedy's character, as Gus, turns in the background and notices her. Yeah. At the uh, at the, the the checkout counter there. Now, obviously, you're going to see this movie with your fam. You're in a good mood. Everything's fine. What you see is a guy going, "Whoa! I just heard that poor lady say something very drastic. I'm gonna go see if out. I can help her out because me and my buds, blah blah blah." But they then go on to point out that he, you know, she says, "I will sell my soul to the devil." That's when. So he basically hears his name. Mm-hmm. Turns to look at her, you know, speak of the devil, right? And he'll appear. Uh, turns to look at her. And then when he walks up and says, well, hey, would you uh, like a ride home with me and my polka band? We're renting a musicians. truck. My musicians and I, we're renting a truck. We're going to drive all the way. Um, he might as well be playing the fiddle. A little bit. Might as well be. And basically, he's basically also offering her the absolute lowest return <laughs> 
on her end of the sale. He's saying, take this cruddy ride with me mm-hmm. for the price of your soul, and I'll get you back to your right. son. Sure. And then when it cuts to them later in the van together, he's playing a woodwind instrument, and it's often, you know, the mythology is that the devil uh, often plays, you know, like a lute or a flute of some kind a or pan. even a pan flute. Yeah. yeah. So he's playing uh, a clarinet, which is Playing a clarinet. Kind of, uh, yeah. It's a long... It goes along with my crazy, exaggerated thing that I want to talk about later, which we'll address closer to the end of the film. Okay, which we need to get to, because we've been talking about Home Alone for 90 minutes. Yes, but, well, (laughs) not really. Okay. We have the beginning of our thing. Oh, that's true. So, Kevin, um, well, I'm I'm all mixed up here. Okay, so, uh, did you know that they filmed all of John Candy's stuff in one day? That's cool. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. He really only needed to be in the airport and then the back of the truck. Yeah, and, and uh, Macaulay Culkin um, hung out on set that day to see him. Oh, Wanted to reunite with him. He was his Uncle Buck. Yeah. Um, so. Molly Russell's wart. Kevin goes outside, cuts down the top of a tree. Yeah. For a little Christmas tree. Oh. Um, the bandits see him, and they realize what's what's really going on in the house. That This, yep. is, this is the kid that they saw from before. Uh, Kevin decorates the tree. And while he's doing that, in a big red ornament, he sees Harry looking through the window at him. Oh, man. Um, and he tries to play it off like his dad is home. He's like, hey, dad, blah, 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 bring me the thing. Uh, are you coming to do this, dad? Or something like that. Um, Kevin knows he's in trouble. Yeah. Um, so he decides he's going to go to the only guy who can help him. Now, prior to going to leaving the house, he goes upstairs and he opens a window and hears Harry and Marv discussing that they're going to rob this house. Right. They're going to come back. After the kid's gone to bed to catch him off guard um, and, you know, and to do it in the dark because kids are afraid of the dark. Yeah. Come back. What they're going to do is they're going to watch the place, go have a bite to eat, come back at nine. Yeah. So Kevin knows what time they're going to come back. So he goes to talk to the only man that he can, Santa. (gasps) Sandy Claus? Yep. So Nice. He goes to Santa's, like, workshop in, like, the town square and there's this woman locking up, dressed like an elf. He's like, nice shoes. Um, that was uh, somebody's wife. Somebody, oh. Uh, some crew member's wife or girlfriend at the time or something. Um, well, she and, uh, did a great job. And she's like, "If you, he's getting into his car. If you go right now, you can catch him. So he runs out to Santa, um, played by... I don't have it written down. The guy from Herman's Head. And I love that guy. Yeah. Why don't I have it written down? Uh, and he tells Santa that all he wants tomorrow morning is his family back. Yeah. He doesn't want toys. He just wants his annoying family. He uh, he gives Kevin some Tic Tacs. Like, yeah. Hold out your little paw. He's <laughs> your little paw. He doesn't have any candy canes left. The girlfriend took him home for her boyfriend. Aww. Um, and... Uh, and so he gives him some Tic Tacs, and Kevin, like, turns to walk away. He's like, I'll see what I can do. Kevin turns to walk away. Santa gets in the car. Little Honda, beat-up Honda. Starts it up, and then it stalls. Aww. And he's like, dang it. That was not scripted and actually happened. Oh, nice. Um, good work on that actor for going with it. Yeah, agreed. So Kevin heads towards home. He sees all these families celebrating Christmas along the way. We get that really beautiful John Williams score, the Home Alone theme. Yeah. Um, and he realizes how sad he is. He sees this family celebrating, and inside the family is uh, Chris Columbus's uh, brother-in-law, I think. Is oh, really? Yeah. 
Hey, Chris Columbus's wife was one of the flight attendants on the plane to France as well. Oh, that's cool. It's just, they're just full of all sorts of, this is so-and-so's girlfriend or wife or kid or whatever. Uh, he sees the church that he hid in the nativity scene, and he decides to go in. He hears this, this music, this beautiful mm. singing. And he goes in, and uh, he walks in, and there's these really kind of cool tracking shots where he's looking around. And there's, again, kind of going back to this sort of ominous, like there's something comforting but something kind of scary about this place that he's in. Oh. Um, you see these uh, big statues looking down on him in this, this giant church. Yeah. Um, and uh, he goes and sits down and listens to this choir sing. And, uh, a children's and, choir doing yeah their, doing their christmas eve thing it was interesting i was trying to figure out why they were wearing different robes and i thought i think the older kids had like a darker robe and the younger kids had like a yellow robe or something um again, you might be onto something again kind of going with the color theme of the film besides red and green gold is very very prominent yeah um, this is red green and gold so i think they the older kids maybe were wearing dark red who else wears red and gold Red and gold. Santa? Gus's oh. polka band jackets. Oh, that's right. Are yeah. all red You're and right. gold. So um, he turns and sees old man Marley sitting <gasps> at the church. And he like gets kind of scared and looks straight forward. And then old man Marley comes up and he's like, can I sit down? Yeah. And that t- that surprises Kevin. He's like, oh, he wants to sit down. That's okay. And they have this sort of conversation uh, with each other um they confide in each other yeah um kevin sort of talks about how he's been kind of a brat throughout the year and um he you know he's missing his family and and things and old man marley confesses that he uh he's there to listen to his granddaughter sing she's the pretty redhead about his age yeah uh not his age but kevin's age um and that he doesn't he doesn't get to see her otherwise or regular time church times because he's not welcome because he's he had an argument with his son years ago and uh, doesn't get to see them anymore they don't talk anymore they never explain what it is and I say it's probably political could be political I think it's more likely something to do with Chicago's Irish Mafia I don't think so I think it's probably more of about a Chicago's philosophical Irish thing. I'll oh. get there in a minute. But um, well, Marley's a racist. No, <laughs> I don't think Marley's a racist. Um, so Kevin sort of is like, you got to call him and talk to him. And he's like, but what if he doesn't want to talk to me? He's like, well, at least you'll know. Yeah. At least you've tried. Um, I think I'm going to say my my exaggerated uh theory wild theory for a little bit later till close to the end of the film why because i think it'll come together a little better so okay they help each other and it's actually kind of a pretty scene yeah that they have this conversation they come together in a church point that out yep 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 so kevin runs home as he goes the houses are lighting up one by one on their little automatic timers just as he hits each house each one lights up and he gets in locks the door and goes about setting up all these traps in his house yeah and he, he unrolls this big plan that he's drawn in crayon and stuff and he goes and he sets out ornaments and he waters down the steps and brilliant uh, idea rigs things with rope nails through nails through shingles yeah. i guess and, and yeah or and sandpaper of some kind or something. tar on the steps tar and on the steps, uh and some type of uh all sorts of fun stuff in saran wrap uh and some feathers and a fan yep 
Um, Micro Machines on the floor, one of my favorites. Yeah, and he goes to make himself some mac and cheese, and he sits down, and the clock chimes nine. And he knows it's time, so he grabs his BB gun. And, oh, snap. Uh, so then chaos ensues. And I, I don't know if we need to go over every single... No, because thing. there are many different, uh, uh, what's the word, traps and whatnot that he has set up for these guys. Yeah, and we'll go over a few of them, though. Um, so It would take forever. They, they uh, split up, basically... Marv goes down the steps. Of course, they're iced because he poured the water and he slips and falls and hurts himself. Yeah. Uh, he opens up the door. He tries to pry it open, but it turns out it's unlocked. Yeah. And he goes in, <laughs> looks for a light, and pulls on the light, and it, uh, it's hooked up to like a uh, laundry, the laundry chute. Right. And uh, the, an iron comes down and hits him. Yeah, face. a hot iron. Um, it leaves a nice big iron scar on his face. Uh, Harry goes to the front door, and of course he's he heated the doorknob up, and he reaches for the door and grabs the door handle, burns, and it burns a scar into his hand, an M from a Callister. And he looks at his hand, and mother an M, F, this red M. Yeah. that's actually a uh, a reference to the poster for the movie M, which is a oh, really? bloody M on on that on that palm of the hand. Gross. Yeah. Um. As uh, Marv tries goes up go up the stairs, he steps. Uh, he he gets his shoes stuck in the tar and he ends up taking his shoes off and trying to walk on the tar in his barefoot. I don't get that mistake. Um, well, his steps. shoes were just slip ons though, too. Well, they were boots. No, Marv. Maybe, did he change? Marv had boots on. Cause earlier when he loses his shoe in the doggy door, it's just a oh, little yeah. slip on thing. There were boots in the, on, the, on that scene. I don't yeah, know. Maybe he changed Re- his shoes. Regardless, he leaves his shoes instead of like abandoning the tar thing. He yeah. Just, just like leaves it. pulling a little going. harder to get your yeah. shoe. Yeah. He steps on a big nail. It hurts. He falls down. Uh, he, you know, hobbles out and tries to approach a different way. Yeah. Um, oh, they got shot before this, too. They got shot with the BB gun. That was the dog door thing. Oh, right. When they first show up at the door. Yeah, so they can't go in through that back door. Uh, shoots them both in the nuts. So, um, Marv ends up going through that door in the end. Right. But, uh, um, and there's a flame throughout Blowtorch there. Yeah. His head. No, that's Harry gets his head. Harry, right. that's what I mean. Marv goes through a window where there's ornaments. Right. On the ground. And he steps on these ornaments in his bare feet. And those were real ornaments. Do you Terrible. know how they managed to do that? How did they manage to do that? He was wearing rubber feet. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, so uh, he was able to step on those and crush them. And it looked, looked real. It looked very you real. You saw when he's walking, you know, there's no movement to the toes. You think mm. maybe he's like tensed up and he's walking on the sides of his feet. But I, uh, I try not to look at feet at yeah. all. Not a foot guy, huh? I'm a foot detractor. All right. Um, they get hit with paint cans, and they get uh, the spider gets placed on uh, Marv's face. Oh yeah, and then he crawls onto Harry quite deliciously. Um, the kid like does this like zipline thing again. Wish fulfillment would never work. No, but it's pretty great. Um, I mean, ziplines can work i had a friend who had a zipline built that in his backyard was not gonna that zipline was not going to work it was basically a bicycle handlebars just oh, sliding right. along some rope there wasn't a pulley if i remember it wasn't even really an angle wasn't it was yeah like straight across wasn't really going to work so um he runs away the the guys fall they like try to go across the zipline he cuts it they fall down on the ground uh good he, plan he runs through the murphy's house through the basement um well, oh, doesn't he, he calls, he yes. calls the cops from the, uh, from his own house and says, "My house is being robbed. My name's Murphy." Yeah, 
And so he goes through the Murphy's house, through the basement. It's all flooded. And when he gets up to the top of the stairs, the bad guys are going <gasps> to catch him. The wet bandits. And they're going to bite his fingers off one by one. They, yeah. He puts his the little kid's finger in his mouth. Uh, in a rehearsal, uh, Joe Pesci accidentally bit a little too hard. And oh, no. Macaulay Culkin's fingers and I had to have it stitched. He has a scar to this day on his finger. Gross. Um, all of a sudden, these boots come into the room without them noticing. <gasps> And a shovel hits them over the head. Nice. Knocking them out. It's old murderous Marley. Yeah. Knocks both of them out with his snow shovel. And then puts them in a bucket, a big thing of salt. Yeah, to sprinkle out over the ice the next day. The cops come and they catch him and uh, haul him off to jail. And the kid just kind of smiles at Harry as he's getting driven away. Yeah. The next morning, Kevin wakes up. And it's snowing on Christmas. Oh, that's always the best. That snow. Potatoes. Whoa. Yep. Potato, potato flakes. Potato flakes. Flaky potatoes. Turns yellow quickly. The Gross. It's all yellow. So does most snow, so if you know what I mean. All over it. Yeah. When Steve's around. So he goes downstairs. He doesn't find his family. He gets a little sad. He looks outside. Nothing. He goes back in. And the polka truck pulls up. I say polka truck loosely. It's like an enterprise moving van. It's literally a moving yeah. van. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think it's budget. Kate, uh, comes in and she sees that he's decorated the Christmas tree and hung the stockings and done everything with care. There's like cookies and milk was left out and carrots for the reindeer. He's cleaned up all his, all his booby traps. Yep. Um, and that to me is kind of the key to the film that she realizes how sweet this kid who was a brat at the beginning of the film really is. And that he's sort of kind of growing up. Um, and we get, in, you know, we get this sort of like big heartwarming moment right at the very end. So she, she sees him and he's like, where's the rest of the family? And she's like, oh, they couldn't make it. And of course, that's when they burst through the door. Yup. And they're like, Buzz is like, hey, it's pretty cool you didn't burn the house down. Um, Kevin feels loved and appreciated. And they're like, oh, everything's closed. Where are we going to get food? And he's like, I went shopping. I got laundry detergent and a fabric softener and milk and stuff. And they're like, what? You know, you're full of surprises. Pretty, uh... You're a pretty weird little dude. Pretty mature thing to do there, Kev. Yep. Um, and uh, as everybody's kind of getting settled back in, he goes to uh, a window that looks towards uh, old man uh, Marley's property, and he sees the best moment of the movie. Aww. That old man Marley is there hugging his granddaughter and his son and his daughter-in-law, I guess. Um, Should we refer to him as his estranged son? I don't know, whatever. It's his son. Um, the dad finds the Peter finds the gold tooth. Oh right, he finds Harry's gold tooth on the floor. But when when Kevin's looking at old man Marley, I notice something. What did you notice? There is no cut. Absolutely correct on old man Marley's hand. Right. So here comes my wild explanation. Let's hear it. Old man Marley is the son of God. You think he's Jesus. That's something like that. It's definitely divine, some type of divine intervention. They reconcile, he and he and Kevin reconcile this fear inside the church. Yeah. He has a cut on both, he has the bandage on in the church, by the way, the band-aid. Oh, he does? That he got at the, at the store. Oh. Um, he had a cut on both the bottom and the top of his hand, i.e. some stigmata. Well, something went straight through, you're saying. He saves the day... Through the grace of old man Marley is Kevin saved. Mm-hmm. And at the end, 
the wounds are healed. Interesting. Pair that with the idea that John Candy's character, Gus Polinsky, is actually the devil. Oh. You have the seemingly nicest person is the devil, and the seemingly scary murderer is the side of God. Whoa. Pretty wild. Mind blown, right? Pretty wild theory. Uh, so that's pretty much the end of the movie. There's a little button where Buzz is like, what'd you do to my room? What'd you do to my room? I'm Buzz. Um, the film was given two thumbs down by Roger and Ebert. Wow. Siskel um, and Ebert. Sisk- Sisk- Roger and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. Roger and Ebert are the same guy. Yes, they are. Uh, it was number one in the box office for 16 weeks. 16 weeks. Uh, it was like the longest, uh, and then Titanic came along and did the same kind of thing. Wow. Uh, it cost $18 million to make. It grossed over $500 million worldwide. Shazam! That's impressive, especially for 1990. Yeah, That's and incredible. A, and apparently there's some something happened where um, Gene Siskel had to go and do some type of reporting at the house because it was such a big deal. Oh, and wow. the house was such a character that the um, the network wanted a special on Home Alone. Nice. So he kind of had to eat crow. The fact that he <laughs> gave it like thumbs down, he had to go back and do like a special segment on, on Home Alone. That's great. But that's on YouTube somewhere. Probably. Uh, I've got something in my eye. Keep talking. Siskel and Ebert, both no longer with us. Roger Ebert. Oh, may they rest in peace. Roger Ebert was probably my favorite critic, film critic. Didn't always agree with him, but um, I, I definitely respected the man and his writing and his view on film. So, um, so rest in peace, Siskel and Ebert. Hope you're watching movies in the sky. For sure they are. So There it is, Home Alone. That's Home Alone. Um, How many minutes did it take me to fall asleep during this movie? Well... I think I know it's zero, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's pretty great. It is great. Well, how about, how about the next movie? Did you fall asleep during that one? The next movie's got a zero-minute coffee countdown as well. Wow. We'll get that out of the way early. It's one of your favorites, right? David from Acidine Selection sent us a wine recommendation. This week, it's Ca Montanari Lambrusco Opera O2. He says, So I love recommending Lambrusco for parties because it's such a crowd pleaser. Keep this in mind for your holiday party. What people love about it is not just that it's sparkling, but it's sparkling red wine. Instant conversation starter. But keeping it with the movie title, it's a pretty great wine to open up on its own because you get the feeling of something festive, but it doesn't feel as excessive as maybe opening a much more expensive bottle of champagne. As for food, it's great with cured meats and cheese. After all, it comes from Emilia Romana, where we get Parmesan, Parma ham, and great balsamic vinegar. In fact, look for the note of balsamic on the nose along with the flavors of dark chocolate, dark cherry. For a party or home alone, it's a perfect sparkling winter wine. Uh, the next movie is a, a movie that I enjoy a lot. It is called The Ref. You already know that. You've been reading the tweets. Yeah. I think we can probably, we're going to try and do that. We got to s- get through the ref real fast. <laughs> yeah, and I think probably our next podcast will do something real similar where we spend a lot of time on one film and then. Uh, uh, maybe let's aim for equal time on both. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I have a feeling, yeah. Um, so the. Uh, oh, you mean on the very next podcast? On the next podcast, yeah. We're, we're trying to do our holiday podcast a little bit, a little bit different just so we can kind of get through. It's only so much holiday movie we can talk about, right? It's true, because the holidays ain't over, and these are all going to be on plenty of times. Yeah. Well, so the, uh... the Ref, 1994, directed by the late, great Ted Demi, who also directed uh, one of my favorite movies, Beautiful Girls. And Blow. He did direct Blow, didn't he? Yeah. And That's he, right. He died, I think, from a heart attack as a result of maybe too much 
I mean, you know, there there are allegations and hints, hints and allegations, but uh, I'm staying away from that. All I know is Jonathan Demme's brother, right? Director of Silence of the Lambs. I believe brother, or perhaps a close cousin. I'm not sure. The brothers, they were. But uh, so Ted Demme directed two very snowy movies that I'm a fan of. One is Beautiful Girls. One is the movie we're about to discuss, The Ref, 1994, starring wildly successful stand-up comedian turned. Uh, one hour drama, whatever you want to call him, star. Like wildly successful, kind of interestingly. You don't think Dennis Leary is wildly successful? I think someone like Robin Williams is wildly successful in the pantheon of comedians. I don't know. I love Dennis Leary. I think he was very popular amongst the MTV crowd. Sure. Um, but he's no like Billy Crystal. That's like a wildly successful comedian to me. Okay. But Interesting. I. Don't disagree that he's... I, I think he's more successful now than he was then. Oh, for sure, yeah. But this movie was very much... I mean, this might have been his first like real starring role in a movie. Really? If I'm not mistaken. Because I remember it being a pretty big deal. I mean, I was, you know, 13 at the time. Yeah. But I remember it being like, Whoa, that guy Dennis Leary is getting a movie. That's pretty two, great. Two If By C's, uh Dennis Leary? That's after 94, yeah. certainly. He was in... Uh... One, Demolition Man. To Judgment Night. Judgment Street Night, yeah. Business, Gunman, Who's the Man, The Sandlot, Loaded Weapon 1, and then The Ref. Wow. He was in one, two, three, four, five, six films in 1993. The Ref came out in 1994. Holy shnikes. Yeah, and then he did Operation Dumbo Drop. Yes. <laughs> Definitely the best movie about dropping an elephant. Yeah. Uh, but where does The Ref begin? Well, first of all, it begins with, and I hate to say it, Begins with this really like dated piece of music. Yeah, it's sort of like some synth pop mixed with some, uh, you know, Christmassy choral singing. That, for my money, just it's not holding up as well as the like rest a of the CNC movie. CNC Music Factory made us Christmas album. Maybe not quite CNC Music Factory, but certainly Enigma. If you remember Enigma, yeah, it's it is kind of like. Um... Almost like mall music, almost. A little um, bit. Yeah, it's 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 def- definitely different. With set to like Nutcracker. Yeah, and it's like you know I can understand at the time. Like hip. I get music. it at the time, but I feel like that particular piece of music. I literally wrote down this brick this Brit pop Christmas song. Uh, it doesn't hold up. I like, it has uh, to go. British girl groups, pop girl groups. I'm I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Not the Spice Girls. Not like that. You're saying you like that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm a sucker for that. Bewitched? Bewitched? Never mind then. Don't know Bewitched. Well, you're lost. Like a like a we, <laughs> You don't remember Bewitched? No. Anyway. Went down we'll we'll watch some, we'll watch some Bewitched on uh YouTube after this. Okay. Um so the movie starts with it's panning through this beautiful Connecticut town where our lead couple lives. And uh it pans into uh, the offices of a Dr. Wong, played by B.D. Wong. Yeah, I love B.D. Wong. One of who, my favorites. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's great. He's B.D. Wong. You great probably just on, saw him in uh, Jurassic World. I was going to say, great turn on uh, Mr. Robot recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Uh, so Dr. Wong is talking to um, is talking to this couple, played by uh, Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis. Uh, Judy Davis plays Caroline. Kevin Spacey plays, what's his character's name? Tell me, Wes. It's, uh... David? Lloyd? Lloyd. Why do I not remember Lloyd? David and Caroline 
Chasseur. Chasseur, which is 18th century French Huguenot. Yes, that's probably the best line in the whole movie. <laughs> Maybe not the best, but I do I love know, it's it. It's pretty great. I do love that it's line. It's just so full of pretension. Yeah. You know? Like, why Why should anybody know what that even means anymore? Pretension? I think a little of both. Okay. So, Lloyd and Caroline are in Dr. Wong's office on Christmas Eve... Bickering. Bickering like crazy. They're having a marriage counseling session on Christmas Eve. They're going on and on. It comes to the comes to light that uh, Caroline has had an affair that Lloyd has known about. Um, she has weird dreams. She has weird dreams about uh, being served a salad with a very important piece of Lloyd on the salad, but being, being told, don't touch that piece. It's just decoration. Yeah. Uh, they go on about how Lloyd's mother owns the house that they live in. She owns the company that Lloyd runs. Like an antique shop or something, right? Like an antique shop. And not only that, but they are basically paying her back with interest for all of these things that she's bought them. So basically, Lloyd's mother financially controls his life and sort of by way of that, Carolyn's life. Mm-hmm. Carolyn's notorious for starting to take a cooking class or starting to take a this class or that class and then just kind of giving up on it. Um, these things get brought up as the movie goes along, but basically these two are just at each other's throats. She reveals she's planning to leave him and, uh, he, they, he doesn't want to give her a divorce. He doesn't want to give her a divorce. And now it's time for them to get back in the car, drive home. And Lloyd's family is coming over for a Christmas Eve dinner. His God awful mother, his God awful mother, his brother, Gary, Gary's wife, played by the lovely Christine Baranski. We I haven't met these people just love yet. love Christine Baranski in I just about too. everything that she's ever been in. And I especially love her in this. And I also love her in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. She was in a movie that I hate. Which movie? But I think she's great in it. Mamma Mia? You hate Mamma Mia? I hate that movie. I don't dislike that movie. I think that's an awful movie. She is so much fun to watch, though. Well, sure. She's Christine Baranski. Yeah. She's just so, like, theatrical. and. But you hate... I hate that movie, though. Mamma Mia. Yeah. Based on the music of ABBA. Yeah. And you hate it. Yeah, hate it. One misstep after another. I'm, I'm going to excuse myself. Have you seen it? Of course. And you liked it? No, not really. Oh, uh, yeah. But I love the music of ABBA, and, so and it's sort of like... I like ABBA. Mamma Mia is just, you know, a nice little little fun way to get a little I like different, they something different. absolutely ruined my favorite ABBA song. Which is? Uh, Lay All Your Love On Me. You know, I don't remember how that goes in the movie. But um, let's get away from this lovers, sad topic. Two lovers are singing all and Let me just Oh, right, this. right, They're right. singing on the beach. It's beautiful. And all of a sudden, the guys, like, bachelor group, yeah. out of the water, like, Davy Jones's like... Yeah, I remember now. I remember that now. I had done a good job of forgetting, and now look what you've done. It's awful. Okay, anyways, the ref. You know, you know what's great though is Super Trooper when they do Super Trooper, and frankly, when they do Mamma Mia and all the women from the. Anyway, not going to agree with that one. Cut to somewhere in a nice big rich house in this Connecticut neighborhood. A burglar is cracking into a safe and there's a guy outside smoking in a car a guy a bedraggled man who we will find out is murray smoking in his car waiting for this burglar to come out the burglar wearing a balaclava over his face gets the safe open and he is immediately sprayed in the face with a liquid yeah. turns out it's cat urine Gross. takes his mask off it's dennis leary playing 
Gus. Oh, yeah. Another Gus. Yeah, two Gus's in a row. You know, oh. it's interesting, this whole, like, cat urine thing, it's like a running gag. Like, what's that smell? Or, right. Is that pee? Nobody in their right mind would associate that smell with anything but cat pee. Cat pee specifically. It's so specifically. Yeah. And I don't understand why strong. some people are like, what's that smell? That's freaking cat pee you're smelling. Well... And they don't. And somebody asked. Some him, of them might have never smelled cat pee. Some of, some of them ask him, "Did you have an accident?" Yeah, like he peed on himself on his face. A, B, human urine does not smell like cat urine. It is very. I feel like I'm learning a lot about you right now. I don't like cats that much, and cat pee uh, is the worst. Cat pee's pretty. It's pretty gnarly. Some other people's cats are fine. I just don't have an interest in having one in my home. What about a cat that never had to pee? I just, they're just so snooty. Walt's pretty excited. Walt is just not even moving. Well, he's dreaming about that cat. He's still alive. He probably is. Gus, the safe cracker, has just gotten a, a booby trap of cat pee sprayed in his face. Yeah. Then, uh, an alarm goes off. Right? An alarm goes off, and a little camera thing zooms out, and he goes to try to touch it, and instead sets off yet another trap because the floor he's standing on. Falls out from underneath him. He goes sliding into a basement. His gun slides across the floor. Hits a sleeping, vicious dog. The vicious dog wakes up, attacks Gus. I think Murray, sitting in the car outside, hears the alarm going off. And he bails on his crime partner. And the police do show up. And the police do show up. But Gus manages to sneak away with his gun. Goes running off. Uh, Lloyd and Carolyn are driving home from the thing. They stop at a at a convenience store to get something. Lloyd lets Carolyn go into the store alone. And yeah. Gus sneaks up on her and he says, hey, lady, I got a gun. I'm Dennis Leary. Uh, you know, take me to your car. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Leary. Yeah, he's like, hey, what do you mean there? I'm Dennis Leary there. Hey there, it's me, Dennis Leary. Uh, that was Dennis Farina, actually. Yeah. Um, what do you mean you don't eat meat? Yeah. yeah something like that. He, um, he 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 gets Carolyn into the car and discovers oh she's not alone she's with Lloyd and Carolyn says he chose me for this thing because I was alone because you sent me in there alone Lloyd I, and Gus admits yeah I chose her because she was alone I uh I thought the completely unimportant conversation with the clerk in the background was pretty funny I don't remember that um I don't know what the woman's trying to get I got the feeling it was eggnog and she's like what do you mean you've only got one bottle I've got people coming over and the lady's like you just make it yourself and she's like I don't know how to make it (laughs) and it's so weird because it's like it it probably is not something I should have noticed (laughs) you know like wait who's having the argument Carolyn in the clerk or somebody else in the woman in the background with the um and it's probably something that, like, good filmmaking is you wouldn't notice something like that. But to me, there was something really funny about it. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I still like the movie. I mean, it's, yeah. it doesn't hurt the movie in my mind. but Not at all. It's just funny that, like, there was this... An argument about two strangers over eggnog. Or rather, about eggnog well, there was actually with two strangers. Them. The woman had a, a friend with her. Oh, my God. Hence, Gus not waiting for that woman. Touche. So now, Gus is in the back seat of Lloyd... And Carolyn Schauser's car. I'm like, what's that smell? They can't identify the smell either. Uh, th- he's demanding that they drive him home. And... They're like, well, you can't because we have people coming for dinner. Yeah. Um, and Gus is 
basically just like, well, screw it. You can cancel that. Yeah. And they're like, no, we can't. They're on the road. This is pre-cell phone days. We hear the radio. Couldn't just text somebody and be like, yo, don't come over. We're being essentially held hostage. Yeah. Right. We hear on the radio about how now there's a manhunt on for Gus. With roadblocks. With roadblocks. They some they get they manage to get home before the roadblocks go up. Well, the, I think the roadblocks are for the edges of town for anyone trying to leave or come in. Okay, so they're so, already within town. Yeah. All right. So they get home. Um, Did we get introduced to their son at this point. I think we probably are. I think we get our first glimpse of their son Jesse somewhere around here. And somebody's uh, film debut. Yes, J.K. Simmons. Yep. Oscar winner J.K. Simmons. Schillinger himself. Yeah, playing uh, Lieutenant Siskel, oddly enough, mm-hmm. of uh, their son Jesse, Lloyd and Carolyn. They have a son named Jesse. He's a ne'er-do-well. He's been sent away to military school, and when we meet him at military school, he's got a secret uh, dark room set up in his closet. He is developing sexy, sexy pictures of Lieutenant Siskel cheating on his wife. Possibly with students. Possibly with students. It's very unclear what's exactly going on in the I pictures. I think they were wearing nun habits. Oh, boy. Like, like, kind of like the flying nun, where it's like kind of out. Yikes. Well, I'm happy to say I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I've never been able to tell what's happening in those pictures. Yeah, he's chained up. I he's think got, like, that's for the best. It's like, like an S&M thing. Oh, gross. So, Jesse has these pictures, and he's blackmailing Siskel for all this money, or else he's going to send those to Mrs. Siskel. Mm-hmm. And that won't make Mrs. Siskel very happy. So... Siskel shows up, delivers his money. Jesse hands off the, the negatives or whatever, the proof sheet, whichever it is. Merry Christmas. Back to the house. Gus needs to tie up Carolyn, Caroline, and Lloyd. Needs to tie him up, but they don't have any rope. Rope? They don't have any rope, but Caroline says, well, we do have some bungee cord in the kitchen, of all places. And Why would you keep your bungee cord Lloyd's in the kitchen? Lloyd's like rolling his eyes. Right. Why are you helping this fool? Well, what can you do, Lloyd? Maybe if you had, I don't know, done something... She wouldn't have gotten, you guys wouldn't be in here with an armed man. Mm-hmm. Ties him up with the bungee cord on chairs. And then uh, he's he's talking about how, boy, he really needs a cigarette. And he's also trying to figure out where the heck Murray got to. Is this when he makes the call? Yes. He asked them, what's the cruddiest bar in town? And they both have different answers. They both have different answers. So he decides to call one, asks the bartender, is a Murray there? Can you talk about the cigarette, too? I think that comes right after. Oh, okay. Uh, bartender shouts out, is there a Murray here? Nobody answers. He says, is there a waste of life Murray. named Murray there? And the bartender says, is there a waste of fucking life named Murray here? And Murray, poor Murray, is like, oh, that's for me. I'm just saying you can swear. But yeah, I guess we can. It's listed as explicit on iTunes, so. I always find it f- more fun to try to get around Since swearing. Yourself. It's just more fun that way. Even though I have one of the filthiest mouths when there's not you a microphone are a little in front sailor. of me. I consider myself a big sailor. I mean, okay. I'm 6'5". Oh, yeah. 800 pounds. That's pretty big. <laughs> that's pretty big. Um, Desi thought that was funny. Yeah. You thought it was funny, too. I Thank thought it you. was funny. All right. Funny so, guy. Lloyd gets Murray on the phone, and he says, he tells him to go find a boat, of all things. Oh, because all the roads are blocked up. Yeah. But, hey, it's Connecticut. We're right near some water. Go yep. find us a boat. Connecticut. Connecticut. Uh, Murray sets out from the bar to go find a boat. 
Gus is back in the house and he's talking about, boy, I need a cigarette. Because as you know, uh, Dennis Leary was very pro cigarettes in those days. Do I have something coming out of my nose? No. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm just paying attention. It sort of felt like I did. Um, he, uh, uh, Lloyd and Carolyn start bickering from their chairs. Gus pushes both of their chairs over and then he points the gun in Carolyn's face because Lloyd mentions Carolyn used to smoke, but she doesn't anymore. So Gus is like, nobody used to smoke. Yeah, where are they? Puts the gun in Carolyn's face. Where are the cigarettes? She finally says, oh, I keep some hidden behind the chessboard. Then he puts the gun in Lloyd's face. Oh, yes. Because then Lloyd had run. Yes, you're a liar, Carolyn. But Lloyd, when they were driving home, had run a stop sign hoping to get pulled over. Yeah. So that then the police would get involved. He absolutely so, was adamant that he didn't see the stop sign. Yes. He swears point. up and down. there wasn't. He even swears there wasn't a stop sign, let alone he didn't even see it. So now Lloyd, uh, uh, Gus finding out that Caroline is a liar for the cigarettes, points the gun on Lloyd and says, and you're a liar too, Lloyd, because you saw the stop sign, didn't you? Didn't you, Lloyd? Lloyd finally admits it. He's like, so you are a liar too. Gus is basically showing that these two... Both at fault. Almost that they're the exact same people, you know? It's like they keep blaming the other one for this and blaming the other one for that, but they're just as guilty of the same exact crap, and they should just realize that that's how people are. And they should just go ahead and be happy with each other. Because yeah. he goes on about a few other things, like the nice painting hanging on the stairway, about how they're so rich and they have all this nice stuff and they don't even appreciate what it really is. Yeah, like the Chagall. Yes, the Chagall. That's what it was. It comes a little later, I think. A, a tad later. Because, uh, what is it? Oh, he gets he, he now decides to tie them up, up in their bedroom, on their bed. And while he's trying to clean off the urine smell from the booby trap... Uh, Caroline and Lloyd kind of get a little frisky. She well, the feel. yeah, well, they're tied up face it. to face. They're trying to fidget their way out of their ropes, and instead they wind up getting a little frisky. And there's kind of a real sweet moment between them, sort of that old, like, you know, you know, why, why aren't we still like this kind of moment, that sort of thing. And, uh, gosh, where does it go then? Does, does Lloyd completely change yet, or is he still in his urine He's in his urine burglar thing. garb? Uh, the changes happen until they decide that he's going to stay for dinner. Yes. But uh, All right. the son comes home, right? No, not quite yet. No? Yeah, yeah, he does get there pretty soon. Oh, well, first we see him out in the limo. He's rented a limo yeah, to get him home. He doesn't want to go in. And he tells the limo driver, I'll give you another $50 to just circle the block a couple times because he just does not want to have to put up with his parents. Yeah. Uh, so that happens. Then, yes, uh, Jesse comes home while they're still tied up on the bed. Um, Gus gets the drop on him with the gun. At one point, Jesse manages to get the gun away from Gus. And Gus is like, I'm just going to keep coming at you, kid. You can either shoot me or, uh, or I'm just going to get that gun from you. What's it going to be? He gets the gun from him. Has to tie Jesse up now. Um, when do we meet Lloyd's brother and sister-in-law and well, that family? we see them, um, having out at dinner. dinner. Yes. And they're like, we get aren't we going to eat at aunt Caroline's? And she's like, right. This is the last time we know we're going to have real food. Who knows what she's going to cook? <laughs> yeah. Um, because aunt Caroline's got some pretty weird ideas about what to have for Christmas dinner. So, uh, so they're eating like burgers and stuff. Um, we also see them call, uh, and say there's these roadblocks. Yes. Getting held up. I'm not really sure that the, the order in which this happens really. I think it's the dinner much. first. Well, yeah, yeah. I just I think mean, so. I just mean in relation to other stuff we're going to probably be talking about. Yeah. Some of the stuff might happen during that. And uh, Baranski has one of my favorite lines in that dinner scene 
which was when her son complains something about the food and she just says, do not make me nuts today. Yeah. <laughs> I always love that one. Um, and then, of course, we see grandma's being a total B word. And Yeah, there's also this whole thing with um, the cops and yeah. the, the the chief or the lieutenant or whatever oh, doesn't right. like the townspeople. He thinks well, they're, the, they're a-holes. Yeah, and the townspeople, there's a meeting with the, the lieutenant uh, who really should have been something else, considering Siskel's also a lieutenant. Uh, but the lieutenant of the police force is meeting with all these rich townspeople, well, like four of them, and they're saying, oh, you're incompetent. We we don't even trust you to take care of this manhunt. Yeah. We've got the state police involved. And he's also telling them, my guys are too incompetent yeah. to find this dude. Like, you guys have built this society here where hardly anything ever goes wrong, so my police aren't seasoned enough to catch a cat burglar. Yeah. But we're going to try. And then when they say, well, we're leaving it in the hands of the state police, then that sort of lights the fire under the lieutenant, what's his name's butt, to be like, no, my guys can solve this case. So he tells everybody to get back uh, into uniform and start patrolling. And he gives them and he gives them a tape. Yes, that happens just a little later. Does it? Yeah, but we can go into it because now. The, I mean, because it all the works. Because the two cops aren't in uniform when they watch the tape. Right. Because they were going to go home, and he's like, why'd you tell them Merry Christmas? Yeah. Like, why'd you make us known? Yeah, it was nice. Um, so, yes, yeah, so he has a tape that came from the safe of the guy that Gus uh, got booby-trapped. And uh, it's a tape of Gus getting sprayed in the face with the in urine, face, yeah. taking the mask off, showing his face, and then dropping out of frame because the trap door opened yeah, up right. underneath him. While these guys... Before they're about to watch the tape, they're all just chilling in the break room watching. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. The same movie that the McAllisters are watching in France. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So, they put the thing in. None of the cops know how to work the remote control for the VCR. They watch the video. They get one glance at Gus's face before he falls through the trap door. Then the lieutenant's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Watch this tape. Study it. This is the guy we're looking for. He leaves the room. The cops are like, gee, should we watch it again? And instead of managing to watch the tape again, they instead record It's a Wonderful Life over the only surveillance tape of yeah. Gus committing this crime. So, hey, good for Gus. Yeah. Bad for these cops, but whatever. Uh, one of the cops is played by, uh, I think his name is John Skirty. John Skirty, is that Lou? He plays Lou on, he played Lou on, uh... On Rescue Me. On Rescue Me. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite actors on that show. He's great. Lou he had was, a lot of really great stuff. He was in, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, and his part pretty much got cut. Oh, really? Yeah, he was, uh, the doorman at the Stacy's apartment, and, uh, he wouldn't let Peter through. Oh. And so, um, if you remember... Because Dennis Leary was in that. Because Dennis Leary was the was Captain Stacy. Yeah. If you remember, um, when Peter goes to see Gwen Stacy, he comes up the side of the he comes through her balcony. Oh. Um, it's because the doorman wouldn't let him through. That's they funny. Cut, they cut that scene. Well, what a damn nuisance. I was I was disappointed because I had seen that scene. It was put out as a publicity thing before yeah. the movie came out in theaters. Oh, that's pretty fun. So, and then they cut the the scene from the movie. Kind of disappointing. Well, it's not the only thing. Yeah. So. Hi oh. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> All so, right, where were we? So anyway, John Skirty's in it. He plays one of the cops, and uh, I like him. Yeah, and then the other cop is an actor whose name I can never remember, but he was uh, Randy of the Redwoods back in the MTV days. He was also on Arliss. Why can't I remember Arliss, that guy's huh? name? Uh, yeah, he played one of Arliss's friends on Arliss. Jim Turner. Jim Turner. Played That's who Phil. it is. Played Officer Phil. And John Skirty played. You should know this. 
Officer Bill. No, you should know this. Officer Steve. Officer Steve. There you go. Um, so those cops, they they bumble around. They tape over the thing with uh, with uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Meanwhile, we're also seeing another character at play in this whole delicate ballet of holiday cheer and crime. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. There is a friendly neighbor who has a yearly tradition of going around house to house in the neighborhood every year, handing out his wife's homemade fruitcakes dressed as Santa Claus. And as he goes, he drinks a lot because every place he goes, he gets some eggnog with some liquor in it or mm-hmm. maybe some whiskey, maybe some brandy. And then a bunch of kids, every house he goes to, the kids want to bring Santa cookies and pose for pictures and all that. So Santa's going around getting more and more drunk. George? Was that George? George sounds correct. He stops by uh, uh, Lloyd and Carolyn's house pretty early. Not quite drunk just yet, but he goes on about how, oh, Jesse still owes me a chess rematch. And he also mentions, oh, did Jesse ever, uh, you know, we still haven't found the baby Jesus from the, that was stolen from the nativity scene. Maybe, uh, maybe, you know, ask him if he might know anything about that. And Caroline's like, he always accuses him of stuff that Jesse didn't do. Yep. Always accuses Jesse of things that Jesse didn't do. When Jesse do. comes home and he hides some money that he extorted from the lieutenant, and he we see that he did indeed take the... Uh, he has to move a, a nice baby Jesus. Jesus out of the way in order to hide the money. Cruddy Jesse. <sighs> he's, a, he's a mess. So, we've met darn near everybody. Even Murray goes to the local marina and finds a nice lady living on her boat. Yeah, she's got it decorated for Christmas. They're gonna have a chat. They're gonna have a little chat. We don't see them again till the end of the movie. The uh, the bumbling cops stop by the house as well. Yes, because they want to see Lloyd's brother Gary, who's on his way for Christmas dinner. Because they all grew up together, isn't that nice? Lloyd fouls up and lets them come in to hang out because it would be odd if he hadn't let them come in. Yeah, but. At the same time, there's a guy with his, you know, with his gun to his wife's head, and he probably shouldn't let the cops in. Amazingly, the cops manage to get out, I think, without seeing Gus at all, right? Right. He doesn't have to meet them, there does he? There is a, a whole, like, funny bit where Murray keeps calling to let Gus know that he found a boat, but there's an issue with it. Oh, yeah. And, um, and the cops answer each time, don't they? Well, I think the cops answer the first time. Yeah. Caroline answers the second time and leaves the phone off the hook to let, to go get... Uh, Gus in a different room. All right. Um, and the cops are talking in the background, and he hears oh. the cops again. He hangs up again, and then the third time he calls, he actually gets to talk to Gus. That's what and it he's is. He's like, "There's a problem with the boat. It's going to be an, about an hour and a half to fix it." And Gus is like, "You got an hour." Right. And now, arriving for dinner, Gary, his lovely wife, there's his two, two kids. Pretty annoying kids. I've met more annoying kids. They're funny, in my though. Day. They're very funny in the movie. And Lloyd's mom. The girls, the, the young girl's reactions to everything is pretty great. She's got like, some funny genuine. stuff going on. Um, yeah, and that's at that point, they've decided to um, have him pose as Dr. Wong. As Dr. Wong. And uh, Gus Wong. Mom makes the joke. She says, Your name is Wong? You're a Wong. And he says, Well, my mother's Irish. She says, And your father? Not Irish. Well, he just says, wasn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's always a good one. Nice, simple joke there about the Irish. Um, so they're all having to get, <laughs> having dinner while wearing 
wreaths wrapped around their head. Candles on them. And on those wreaths are very tall candles with flame at the top in honor of St. Lucia. Now, Jesse is tied up still upstairs, and they sort of say that Jesse's going to spend time with one of his friends. Yes. Kind of explain away where he is. And the kids are upset because the TV doesn't work. TV doesn't work. Their cousin is away, quote unquote. And they're all wearing candles on their heads. Not just one candle on each head. I'd say easily five or six six candles around each head. Um, St. Lucia, of course, uh, famous for being burned at the stake, but not dying from it. Yeah, she gets Apparently, a sword, right? she was she rendered people up. She was rendered uh, inflammable or non-flammable. I forget which. But yeah, um, I had a, a little cousin, Lily, who got, you remember the American Girl dolls? Yeah. Desi American Girl dolls? She got an American Girl doll that came with a St. Lucia wreath. Really? And uh, because of having seen the ref, I was able to explain to the family that Christmas. What the Saint Why, Lucia wreath was that about? Her, that their kid has a doll with a Saint Lucia wreath. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were like, "What's this about?" And I was like, "Oh, that's for Saint Lucia. Let me school you because I watch a lot of movies." Here's your copy of the ref that I yeah. got for Christmas. Let me tell you about it. So that was a uh, pretty funny. So good old Saint Lucia. They light their heads. They try to eat all of Caroline's super weird food with names like Kringlors. Yeah. And uh, Guggens. It's like Norwegian and or I forget something, what else. Right? Yeah, I think it's a lot of Norwegian stuff. Some kind of fish. Yeah. Certainly nothing that uh, could be mistaken as being 18th century French Huguenot. Huguenot. For crying out loud. So now Gus, the cat burglar disguised as a uh, marriage counselor, is meeting Lloyd's beast of a mother. And yeah. I have to sniffle. And he, he actually comes across very intelligent and actually well-read. I agree. Like she says, are you a, a student of Freud or something? And he's like, I don't go into all of that stuff, the dream stuff and all that. And uh, and he seems to know he's talking about. The fact that he knew the Chagall by yeah. sight and um, and then he's able to sort of pass off this this doctor thing. Right. Implies that Gus is actually kind of smart. Very smart. Yeah. You know, he knows what to look for I liked that when he's character. planning to rob someone. Right. Yeah. yeah he's not just a, a goon sneaking yeah. around and just stealing whatever, hoping it's worth something. He, he knows what to go for. He doesn't talk like them, but he thinks like them. Right. Which is interesting. Right. Boy, oh boy, they're having dinner. Jesse's upstairs trying to escape. Uh, he manages to get loose and he starts rounding up his money because he's just like, I got to make a break for this thing. Yeah. Um, dinner just keeps going more and more wrong. Gus winds up having to tie mom, uh, Gary, Gary's wife. I don't think he ties up. He makes the kids tie up. Yeah, he doesn't else. actually tie them up. He lets them do Christmas, like open. Pre- we're going to open presents. Oh, right. Um, the and present argument. And that's when there's this huge, like, everybody kind of airs their feelings about each other. Yeah. Um, Christine Baranski's character. And they're ir- she's irritated. She and Gary are irritated that the mom is such a skin flint. She has all this money. And buys her like slipper, slipper socks, not yeah. the right size. Slipper kind of socks, thing. medium. Um, and uh, Lloyd and Caroline really kind of lay everything out and about how basically they're both afraid of her, the mother. Right. And the fact the mother holds m- the money over everybody's heads. And they they took out a loan to to start a restaurant together and it didn't it failed right and caroline was upset that lloyd didn't stick it out and try again and lloyd was mad that caroline just sort of gave up and retreated yeah um and uh and the mother 
they've been paying this loan back and they were never going to ever repay it back because she was charging them interest. And right. going to up the interest rate because the interest. Yeah. She even says like, well, let's see what happens with interest rates this year. Yeah. And it's just like, and I think that is that when Leary just like snaps at her. No, that might happen later. He says, he says this one line, it's an Abbott Costello line, but it's so well delivered. And he goes, lady, your husband ain't dead. He's hiding. <laughs> it's like so great. That is great. I didn't know that was an Abbott and Costello yeah. line. From which one? Uh, I don't know. Oh, that's okay. They have many lines from many things. Eh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Santa, we cut to Santa, still going around, getting more and more drunk. Kids are handing him more and more cookies. He stops to take a leak in one neighbor's yard after they... <laughs> It literally cuts to him coming out of a house and being like, yeah, yeah, Merry Christmas. And the family is like, go home to your wife. Really, George? What's wrong with you? The daughter says something, too, like Santa was mean to me or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's the exact line. Uh, Boy, where are we here? So far. Uh, So, yeah, they they tie up the, the, you know, the relatives. Yeah. Including the mom. Um. She she actually tries to go upstairs and they kind of tackle her and he holds right. his gun to her head and that's kind of what that's what it is he pulls the him. gun out on grandma and it kind of reveals him so he get they make the kids tie up the parents and the grandma yeah which they do with great joy great joy and they're tied up and then Lieutenant Siskel comes by yeah to basically say uh you know I uh. He outs what Jesse's been doing. Yeah, he, t- he he talks about how Jesse's been blackmailing him and about how he's about to come clean about it. And I have to sneeze real hard. Don't do and it. And Jesse can hear from uh, from upstairs that that Siskel's down there and that he's pretty much bringing Jesse's whole blackmailing scheme uh, uh, down around him. Yeah. And so Jesse starts gathering up his money from the floorboards, getting ready to run for it. Uh, he wants he wants uh, Gus to take him with him. He wants to right. embark on a life of crime. And Gus is like, I can't. First yeah. of all, I don't want to, and I can't. Yeah, he wants to help Gus escape town, and Gus tells him, like, don't start running, kid, because if you start running, you can never stop. Because yeah. Gus is a runner. He's like, it seems like cool when you're a kid and you're yeah. kind of dumb, but when you're my age and you're trying to just get one last score, it's not right. glamorous anymore. Talking about going, you know, every time he makes a score, he goes to Jamaica and basically stays until he runs out of money and then comes back to America to rob somebody again. And it's a vicious cycle. And it only ends one way, baby. The big house. Or you get shot down in a blaze of glory. I have a word there. Fam- okay, that says family. Never mind. Um, so the S- Santa intrudes in on them. Well, first, Jesse and Caroline have a big talk about how Caroline and Lloyd are going to get divorced. Right. And Jesse's like, what the hell is wrong with you two? Like, why, you know, Yeah. why do you need to get a divorce? Can't you tough it out? Can't you, like, come together and blah, blah, blah? And uh, while this is happening... Um, Gus and Lloyd keep trying to get Caroline to come back downstairs because are the police at the door yet? They're almost at the door. No, they're doing uh, checks. The yeah. State police are doing um, house checks. So that they sounds know that's, about right. That's coming. They've, they've been forewarned right. that it's coming. So um, I don't remember what's up with Caroline. She's talking to the kid. Yeah, but why is it that they need her to get downstairs? It's not the Santa, right? It might be the Santa because he definitely Santa. shows up soon. Shows up soon. What did I yeah. say? But anyway, so the, so Santa shows up and they have an altercation with him. Oh boy, do they! 
he gives them a good old uh, dose of, uh, you know what your problem is, and proceeds to go on yeah. about how they don't appreciate his wife's fruitcake. A fruitcake every year. Uh, how do they knock out Santa? I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, if you watched, you remember, and if you didn't watch, you get to enjoy the comedy of them knocking out George as a drunken, miserable Santa. Well, I remember they knock him out, but I just don't remember what, how, how they do it. Do you? I really don't. Lloyd doesn't do it, right? I almost think Lloyd does do it. Does Lloyd do it? Because it shows that Lloyd's finally on board with uh, with really helping Gus. Anyway, Santa's knocked out, and very shortly after that, the cops arrive at the door. And, the, and he's like, Jesse, you've got to get Gus. Take him down out the, the trail. Right. you got to get him out. Take him on the path through the woods. He decides, you know what, it's Christmas. This guy's helped me and my family by sort of... Well, bringing all these things to he, light for he, us to get off our chests. He says something familiar, familial to to him that I, I thought was really sweet. He says something along the lines of, "Oh yes, we can't ruin Christmas for every family member or something." No, like he that. says, uh, "I can't, I can't spend every Christmas trying to put someone I love in jail." That's right, because yeah. basically he, you know, is not a big fan of Jesse's shenanigans, and so he's always, you know, trying to either. <laughs> either get him sent back to military school or possibly yeah. jail is the next step. He basically says he loves Gus, which I thought was sweet. Yeah, though it is sweet. And uh, so, Gus suits up in the Santa outfit. He and Jesse go running off through the woods. Um, Lloyd talks to the police at the door. Do they come no, in and see the police them? comes in and they're tied up and they're like, Oh, that's right. He went that way. No, he went that they have their, one of their famous bickering things, but it's all staged. Right. They tie uh, themselves back up no, and they he stage says he's going to go to leave the country on a plane and a small airfield. And, yes. You know, in Hartford. Hartford. Yeah. In Hartford, he's going to, I forgot where somewhere with an H I think. Not Havana. Not Havana. I don't think so. I thought there was like something like hungry or something. I don't know. Hmm. Something silly. Uh, Anyways, I thought it was Havana. Maybe it was Havana. I don't know. So, anyways, they uh, they bicker and mislead the police. The police are like, "Yeah, they're like, they're like you want us to show you how the best way to get there." And they're like, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right." So the cops realize, oh boy, talking to these two is uh, not going to be a picnic. Let's get the heck out of here, uh, which seems drastically false. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure some statements and yeah, I'm pretty sure okay. if the cops came there and they were tied up by the very man they're searching for. They would have spent a little more time in the oh, house. Oh, they, they do say one, ask them one other question that I loved. Uh, is there anyone else here? Right. And they looked at each other and they go, no. No. And so then uh, the cops leave. Lloyd and Carolyn decide to just go ahead and leave their family tied up for the night. Yeah. Cut to Jesse. And, and they kiss uh, each other. And they kiss. Aw. They're happy again. Mm-hmm. Jesse and Gus running through the woods. Gus disguised as Santa Claus. They make it to the main road. Right as they make it, police come driving by. Seeing Santa Claus, they think it's George, and they just say, Get home already, George. Like yeah, it's, it's after curfew. It's after curfew, you idiot. And they just drive right on by. It was Phil and they don't, Steve again. It was Phil and Steve, and they don't seem to, for one second, care that, quote-unquote, George is standing on the side of the road with a with, teenage with boy. Jesse, yeah. Why isn't he being yelled at to get home? So, Gus makes a break for it. He gets to the docks. Murray's there. The lady with the boat has agreed to go with them, and they sail off. She's a she's she's skipped town on on she was on parole as also. Oh, and she, she's got a warrant out for her arrest, so she skipped town. So she's skipping town with Gus and Murray, 
and they sail off into the moon. While Dennis Leary has one of his famous rants, which I, I actually yeah. didn't like in the film because it's the only time he does a rant, one of his famous rants. Yeah. And it felt like it was contrary to what the character had done the rest of the film. It was, very, it was almost like a, a branding moment. Yeah. Like, okay, now be Dennis Leary. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, it, it's funny while it happens, but it's just sort of like, oh, this is, this is Dennis Leary, the stand-up comedian, stepping in at the very end of the movie rather than a guy playing Gus. Yeah, now the the movie had a different ending originally. It had it had Gus getting caught to oh, yeah? show specifically to show um Jesse that like crime doesn't pay. Oh, that's good. But it didn't test well with mm. audiences. They specifically said they didn't like the ending, so they changed it. America loves a criminal. Um and uh Ted Demi had gone on to say that he wished he he regretted the change. He wished oh, he had wow. changed it. So Huh. And there you have it. The ref. He only fires his gun once in the movie. Really? Fires it at the smoke alarm. Oh, yeah. That goes off. Well, that's good. The only time he fires the gun. Um, this, uh, you know, we were talking about whether or not people, uh, this was like a popular film. Yeah. In 2012, Entertainment Weekly put this on their list of, of the 50 best movies you've never seen. Wow. Way to go, the ref. Yeah. That's pretty cool. In the UK, it's called Hostile Hostages. It's kind of a funny, funny name. Alliteration. Hmm. Alliteration is always kind of funny. I'll stick with the ref. Yeah, I like the ref too. Hostile hostages. Hostile hostages. That's sort of like uh, a picture I'm involved with called Waking. Not a whole lot of movies out there called Waking. Yeah. In the United K- Kingdom, it's called Dream Girl. And that just feels so generic. Yeah, it does. I just don't get it. But I don't know. They might have said, They were like... People are going to get confused with that Robert De Niro movie. Awakenings? Awakenings? Yeah. Or maybe, like, anytime you look for it on IMDb, you, of course, always get Waking Ned Divine. Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of that. Or Waiting. So, uh... That That was was The Ref and Home Alone. Home Alone and The Ref. Both movies, they watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. Both movies take place in very affluent homes. Both are about criminals. Both are about criminals. Both have very uh, questionable police forces. Yeah. It seems in, in Home Alone, the, the Chicago PD seems very corrupt and very like... Uh, they just don't care. They're laissez-faire. Yeah. There's a little bit of that, but I think they're also flat well, they out corrupt. They go to corrupt. check on Kevin and he's like, yep, nobody answered. Not coming back here ever again. There is that too, There's an eight-year-old yeah. boy that's by himself. Nah, I'm not coming back. And then in and then in the ref, they're just flat out incompetent. They yeah. just you know they leave witnesses tied up and they just want to go home. Yeah, they know that this crime has been committed, and they're like, hey, I gotta go home. It's Christmas, right? Right. Redonkulous. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's should talk, we wrap? Let's well, talk about the, the let's draw films. Let's talk about what we're gonna do. All right. Uh, you wanna go first? I guess so. Hand to me the bucket. All right. Now, all that's in this bucket is more holiday movies? Just holiday films. All right. So we're going to... Oh, boy. I'm going to have to watch these real soon. Ooh. Wes. Spit it out. When's the last time you watched Gremlins? A long time ago. Why? I, no, no reason. I just was a kid the last time I saw it. But I'm really glad that that's what got pulled. Sweet. Yeah, I've probably seen Gremlins this year. Yeah. Gotta watch yourself some Gremlins on the rag, dog. I'm excited. I'm excited. 
Let me. Uh... Are you gonna draw one? Yeah, give me that. So uh, yeah, viewsters, uh, get ready. We're gonna watch Gremlins for the next time, and now Wes is drawing. All right. Ha. Okay, I like this foreign film. Oh. Oh. You know how I feel about foreign about films. Reading. I enjoy I a lot of reading. them. I uh, actually enjoy a good handful of foreign films. Rare exports. Rare. Rare. Exports. Exports. It's like a, That's a holiday movie? A Finnish film or something. Finnish. I don't know. Some kind of... I should hope it's Finnish yeah. if we're going to be watching it. <laughs> I don't want to watch an incomplete movie. Uh, you get it. Finnish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a fun movie. I really like it a lot. So I, I hope you... I hope you... A... Enjoy it, and B, stay awake to enjoy it. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I'll I'll drink coffee uh, when I arrive, and right. I'll, I mean, I'll try to have some before Most I even arrive. Iced coffee, if I know you, I do enjoy iced coffee. Yeah. I'm not great with really hot things in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. I just did. Yeah. Okay. So um, our next one is going to be Gremlins and Rare Exports. We're going to do something a little bit different. What is that? We are going to release it the week after people listen to this. So Holy it's out moly. By Christmas. So you'll have podcasts two weeks in a row for your two um, December. Uh, and then Wowie zowie wow. We, my friend, are, are going to take holiday a break. break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. There won't be another podcast for probably, I want to say almost a month, three to four weeks. You know what we should do? What's that? We should wait all the way till President's Day and watch two presidential movies. Wait, that's like in February, right? Well, I like breaks. That's a long break. Hey, I like breaks. Let's try and get at least one in. in <laughs> um, but maybe we can do something romantic in uh, February. Uh, Why would we do? Oh, for Valentine's Day. Yeah. What we could do is we could do a com. Oh. We could do a combo thing. We could do one podcast that's romantic in February. Wait, hear me out. And one, maybe we'll uh, do one presidential film and one film called Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day? Isn't that in February? Yeah, but people don't need us to review Groundhog maybe Day. Have, I mean, they didn't need us to review Home Alone, but we had a lot of really interesting, interesting things to say about Home Alone. Yeah, but that's the holidays, holidays. But that's a holiday. Groundhog Day is know, like you, did, a, a really low-rung holiday. Did you know that Groundhog Day was originally Hedgehog Day? Really? Yep. But uh, hedgehogs aren't native to this country, so Aww. they changed it to Groundhog Day. Well, that's fun. See, you're already learning about Groundhog Day. I guess so. Uh, anyway, we'll work. We'll work out February later. But yeah, much but the later. The plan is one more next week: Gremlins and Rare Export, and then it'll probably be about a month. We'll definitely tweet about what we're going to do. Maybe we'll do like a little mini episode sometime for January mm. to kind of just get the ball rolling again. Um, oh, we should watch the January Man starring do, Kevin Klein. No, we should. I think we should draw our January film, our next films, and during Gremlins. Yeah, why not? Uh, and okay, we'll do that. Let's do it. All right. Well, that's it. We will see you next week. Or yes, follow us, week. us on Twitter at VTRT Movies. Follow Wes at Movie Hippo. Follow me at Stephen Nohowood. Follow Desi at Blueprint Betty. All right. Does Walt have a Twitter yet? Walt does not. We, One of these days. We used to have a hedgehog who had a Twitter. Aww. It was at little tiny hog feet. It was spelled weird though, so you know. Well, you have to know it. But fair enough. Poor poor Waffle is no longer with us. Yeah. 
Waffle. That's a cute name. Yeah, Guys, follow us on Twitter. Yeah. Tell your friends about us. Yes. You know what else I want to start subscribe doing? That I've, Subscribe on iTunes and write us some nice reviews on iTunes. Please, nice, nice ones. I hear some of the bigger podcasts flat out saying, please write us some five-star reviews. And if they can ask for it, so's can wees, babies. You know what else I would So love? I'm going to say, please write us some five-star reviews on iTunes. I would like people to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter with the things that they would like to see. Movie suggestions. Um, things that they uh, that they know about the movies that we've talked about that maybe we didn't address. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I, I just I I like what what interaction we've had with our viewsters. I've really appreciated. Yeah, and um, it's I'd, fun, but it's sparse. Yeah, so we I want be, more. It'd be great to see some more. So talk to us, viewsters. We yeah, love you. Talk to us. All right. Till next time. Till next week. Yeah. Bon, happy holidays. Happy ho- Happy Hanukkah right now, uh, and happy holidays. We will see you in a week. And Bon Cinema.